So uh, these days, what are you doing then? Since well, since um, uh, you know, since uh, I'm kind of in the boat with everybody else, um, now it's just I'm trying to make it with just uh, freelance, and that is actually. Um, it, it, I'm hoping this is going to be kind of like another little sunny FM. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that it's going to be something that really takes off. It's another one of these things, kind of like when I went off to Cincinnati, could I make it in a large market? I've always thought in the back of my mind, could I do, could I do voice work? Um, and make that a living. And I always thought you should do it. You should try it. Everybody kept telling me, you need to go off and do this. All my friends, whoever went off and did it, went off and were very successful. But I was always too scared. Mm. And uh, I always had a plan B. So right before I got let go from the radio station, I actually, I actually made about the same amount of money in freelance that I did in radio. So I'd work 40 hours a week in radio but I'd work four hours a week yeah. on the freelance and make the same amount of money. So if I could just work eight hours a week, I'd be making the same amount I was when I had both. But now it's just it's just um, with uh, the virus that's come in right. and the economy, um, trying to, this is the worst time right. to get into it. But... You know, I'm I'm chipping along, and it's it it it's coming back, and uh, and uh, there's some things about it. You know, I love doing the work, but now this is a totally different thing. It's finding the work, you know, and you obviously experienced that too. I'm sure right. with what you do, um, and then what I'm also finding out is is that a lot of these connections that I'm making um, with people that I used to work for have kind of turned into some little teeny weeny gems mm -hmm. you know and uh and so that's what i'm hoping i'm hoping i'm just you know i'll keep networking with people and uh in the meantime hang on to the gigs that i have i have hooked up with a couple of uh it's kind of funny um as the industry evolves I usually evolved with it. For example, when we bought all these radio stations and they started blowing out all these people in smaller markets, right. and they also did it in larger markets, but smaller markets first, one of the things that happened in the industry was is it was perfect. I didn't like being a DJ live on the air, but I didn't mind being a DJ voice tracked. Right, right. So yeah. when they were blowing people out, the one thing that I was really good at was um, I'm not, I, I wasn't great in one direction. I was kind of good in like three or four different directions. And so I was good enough to voice track five or six radio stations. I was good enough to do this and I could do all of those at the same time. Well, now the industry is such where they're blowing out just about everybody, even the, the company that I was in. Right. Uh, they don't even they don't even want production directors anymore. I've hooked up with a couple of companies that now supply commercial production work okay. for radio companies. So I've kind of evolved and kind of helping out in, in that world there. And luckily I've gotten my foot kind of in the door with a couple of people um, where we're just starting um, they're just starting to add that to a service that they're going to offer up that they usually they offer up imaging for radio stations but they've never offered up the commercial side of it so um, it's kind of a it's kind of new in trying to get salespeople in these markets to actually use it right. and then of course you're working virtually now you know you're right. not you're not handing over a piece of paper right. um, but I can do it right from the basement oh, I, yeah. I've got a you <laughs> know basements are amazing I've got a base I've got a little room I was smart uh, a couple of years ago uh, we had an unfair finished basement and I finished it off and uh, I made a little vocal booth for myself it's all padded okay. so even if I go insane I'm, I'm in a nice padded room <laughs> um, I went out and bought a ridiculous microphone you know oh, yeah. and it, but it paid for itself really quick and I got a couple of computers and and uh, away you go and it's a nice little studio set up and and uh, 
it, 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 the only thing weird about it is, is not, you know, after going somewhere for 30 years, now not having to go anywhere. It's funny. The trying to deal with this new phase in my life is I'm, I'm not having, actually having a hard time with the, right. the work. Right. It's the environment right. of trying to get, trying to get kind of like when I got the sunny, it was here I am. I'm in this environment, you know, and uh, I don't get comfortable as quickly as I'd like to be. Right. So that's uh, that's what I'm kind of, but I'm kind of looking at this as, you know what, you worked for 30 years, maybe it's a vacation. So, but my typical work day right now, it's goofy. I'll wake up in the morning and I'll usually just, you know, take a walk or read a little bit. And then I wait for work to come in. And if nothing's happening, I go outside and I start doing yard work. Right. And I'll be mowing and then the phone will go off and I'll, you know, look at it. Oh yeah, I need to do that. Okay. Leave the lawnmower right where it's at. Yeah, go back inside, yeah. spend 15, 20 minutes doing whatever I need to do, send it off, make the little invoice, go back out and keep mowing. I mean, <laughs> and that's, I just do that. That's kind of what I do all day. And I tell you right now, the lawn looks spectacular. Yeah, well, <laughs> mine, mine's dying, but anyway. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it, it, it's a totally different atmosphere, you know, and even for my family to have me around, I didn't realize, you know, that. But that's, hopefully that, that'll, that'll pick up, uh, and I'm hoping it will. And, uh, you know, it's interesting um, how I have found work has it's never been conventional um in fact that company i work for i got the job because i kept sending in my demo and they kept sending a response back saying yeah no thanks okay but it went into my junk folder so i didn't see it so every month i'd send it again send it again and then finally i got a phone call and they said you know what um we kept sending you this email saying yeah no thanks we don't want to deal with you but we've got an option we've got an opportunity for you would you be interested in them so i listened to them and now i'm signed on with them so right. it's kind of weird how how i've actually found <laughs> found work the, the one that i thought i've never heard of before but uh, andy o'reilly was was talking about how he advertised for voice work on ebay I'm thinking eBay. There is whoever, whoever thought of doing that. There is yeah. a guy that I've actually he he wrote a book. His name is Bill DeWeese. How to be a six-figure voiceover guy, which there's no way I'm ever going to be that, but <laughs> but he actually gets he talks about going to Craigslist. Yeah. And he just offers up his voice is Craigslist. And of course, the stuff that's out there now, um, I've actually gone onto some of these websites and I can't, I, the weirdest thing that happened, I got onto this website and, and I posted like, here's what I do and here's what I can do. And of course, I got a website with a bunch of demos and, yeah. and all of that. And this guy emails me in this broken language. Um, I don't need your voice, but could I use your computer? <laughs> and I email back like what? And he goes, I just need access to your computer. If you can download this app, then I can access your computer and do what I need to do. And I'm like, no. no. I, but and then the guy got all mad at me. You know, like, don't you? You don't want to make money? And I'm like, where are you at? Ukraine? I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> and so a lot of this, a lot of this learning, it's like going down these rat holes, right? You, there's got to be a job opportunity right there. And then all of a sudden, some guy from Ukraine yeah. just wants to use your computer big whoop you know and so that's been the 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 thrill and then just trying to stay positive which really isn't a hard thing for me to do um in the face of you know what looks like you know and that's the the other thing too is just trying to get comfortable with uh, you know the, the new normal I was the kind of guy that would go into work there's the pile start right. knocking it out right. now I've got to create the pile and uh, and knock it out and so you know it's it's uh it's going to be an interesting 
couple of years. I hope it's real successful. Um, I'm also going to try to give back to my family. My wife didn't really want to move from this yeah. area where, where you know, she, you know, I'm going to be living about three miles from here. Oh, probably. You are, the, you are coming back. We're to coming it. back. Yeah. So, okay. yeah. So I'll be three to five miles from you and I'll set up my little world, you know, down in the basement there and, and yeah. try to set it up and, 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 and sort of give back to my family for all that they sacrificed, you know, in letting me go live my dream and yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's cool. That's hopefully I can do that and, and kind of make up for all the, you know, yeah. cause I asked her for two and then took 24, 24. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with one funny story. When I, when I finally got down to Cincinnati, I was like, Oh, this is, this is the big market. And the one thing that the classic rock station did was, is they did this thing called Fox free lunch. The station is 92.5 FM, the Fox. And I was the midday guy. And I did this thing called the classic rock lunch or something like that, where there was, you know, the cafeteria sound effects and all of that. Yeah. Well, we started giving away free food and Fountain Square is the main square in downtown Cincinnati. And Cincinnati is, is kind of like a big Grand Rapids. It's like four times bigger. So it's not super huge, but it's it's a little bit bigger. And I went down there. And of course, when we used to go out and do remotes and appearances, you would be the guy with the banners right. setting up the truck. There would be nobody with you. Right. So I got there. And the next day, I had to go down to the Fountain Square and broadcast live and do all the promotional stuff they were talking about. So what do I do? You just show up there. So I get down there and the truck pulls up and I reach in and I start grabbing the table and the promotions people, there were five, come out and they go like, what are you doing? I'm like, don't you guys, I'm just going to help. No, you don't, you don't do this. Yeah. Okay, what do I do? Just stand over there. <laughs> so then the, the way. then the broadcast truck shows up. Yeah. And this guy hops out and I start, I get in and I start, you know, do, fiddling with the mast. He's like, what are you doing? I go like, what? I, you know, don't you need, no, you don't touch this. I hand you the microphone. You do what you do. You give me the microphone back. <laughs> okay. Um, so he sets it all up and I'm standing there with like nothing to do. Somebody comes over and says, Hey, I need you to make an announcement real quick. And I'm like, okay. And I come around this corner and there are 5,000 people Whoa. in this square eating. You need to go entertain the crowd for five minutes. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? You're the DJ. You just do what you do. There I am talking yeah. in front of, I mean, I'm nervous even talking, thinking about it right now. Um, talking in front of 5,000 people. They all know who I am. They're, they're eating food. Everybody's happy. It's a beautiful day. And then I go down and I remember, <laughs> remember doing my first break, you know, the guy hands me the microphone, you know, it's already on. He goes, don't touch anything. Don't do anything. And it just, you're going to break it. And the guy's like, just all bent out of shape. And I, I do my first break and I hand it back to him. I go like, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> man. And it was, it was like that. Never had, you know, they, and then the amount of money they paid you to do those, it was, you know, it was like 250 bucks for two hours. Yeah. You spoke four times wow so you literally only did about four minutes worth of work yeah and we would do those um there in the city i'd have those scheduled i could do three or four of those a day wow on a saturday you know and you just show up hand you the mic and what do you stay there for 24 it was years? yeah you, you know you were treated you were treated like a big shot even though i certainly didn't feel like uh yeah. like a big shot but that was that's that's kind of where you know that that experience kind of led to and i got to do you know i got to do some really cool and crazy things and i it's really hard to imagine you know that that's over and yeah. maybe it'll develop into something else but 
man what a ride oh yeah what a ride it was it was phenomenal and uh i can only imagine (laughs) yeah you know i wish i wish everybody could have done that because i i think you know i i I think i'm so lucky because i think i lived that radio life that a lot of people wanted to Hmm. and they either didn't or it just it just didn't work the, the, the things just lined up in my favor yeah. and I, I i had a real knack for you know the, and i wouldn't do it on purpose but the the right person would look at me and go mm, when something comes up he's coming with me and i i just would ride somebody else's coattails yeah and on all i did was just concentrate on my work i wasn't brown nosing or hey when you go somewhere could you take me with you i, mean, I wasn't I mean, a lot of times i turned down jobs because yeah. like i just i don't think i can go there i just can't you know i can't go do that um and so it, it just it just i'm the luckiest i think i'm just the luckiest guy in, in the world i just wish it would work for the lottery that's if oh, i yeah, could yeah, just yeah. get some luck yeah. there um but yeah it just seems like it's and, it, and, it, and and to some degree it seems to be working right now too there are there are things that i'm doing i'll reach out to people and say hey you know um if you need any help with you know any kind of voice work or audio work or you just need you need someone to talk to or vent or whatever you know hit me up i'm right here if you need me everybody i've ever contacted has contacted me back yeah and it i it it i i'm always surprised when i'll go upstairs honey you're not gonna believe so and so just email me back you know like yeah you're, you're kidding you know and um yeah, it, it, it still happens. And the and and some of the giant uh, people that I've met in Brock, I remember I read an article one time about a guy named Mark Chase. And I, after I read the article, and I didn't do a whole lot of reading back then, yeah. uh, especially about people, I would after I read the article, I went, wouldn't it, oh, I would love to work for that guy. Gosh, if I could just you know work for that guy for five minutes, that'd be great. It just so happens when I went down to do my on-air audition for Cincinnati, when I got off the air, I came down into the into the into the office where my where Jim Richards was sitting, and across the desk from his was that guy, yeah. and he worked there. And I remember they played the tape, and Mark Chase goes, uh, Jim goes, "What do you think, Mark?" And Mark goes. And he had a real southern accent. He goes, that is the worst sound and deed you ever heard in my life. <laughs> and he looked at me and goes, you're not good. You're not good at all. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I'm like, okay. And Jim goes, just step outside for a second. So I go out, in, out into the hallway, and Jim comes out about maybe a minute later. goes, you okay? He goes, yeah, I'm okay. Why? I mean, you didn't bo- you're not bothered by what he said. I go, well, not really. I think he's right. I don't think I am that good. Um but you know, what about the job? He's like, you got the job, and I remember, I went into went into went into tell Mark, hey, you know, nice meeting you. Yeah, yeah, whatever, nice to meet you. A couple of months later, uh, they had they didn't have enough studios for all the prod guys, and I wasn't a prod guy. I was a midday guy who just decided to do commercial production. Okay, so I was hunting for a studio. So the only time I could get a studio was at three o'clock in the morning. And I'd work from three to nine, and then I did a six hour on air shift. And he was filling in for the morning show. Mark Chase was filling in for the morning show one day. And so I come around the corner and almost collide with him at four o'clock in the morning. And he goes, What are you doing here? And I go, like, well, you know, um, I it's the only time I can get in to do commercial work. He goes, well, You're not a production director. I go, I know, but I want to be. And and I figured if I'm going to want to be, I need to show you guys that I'm doing it. And so I'm here at three, and I get off at nine. And he goes, 
oh okay and he walks and as he as he walks away he mumbles he goes man was i wrong about that guy and i was like oh you know i heard that <laughs> and he and he, he and i are now you know best buds well, and good. uh it, yeah. it's fascinating and i'm and i'm you know leaning on him and hoping i can you know get something because that guy's been everywhere he's he's worked at gn and he's he's uh, just he's, he's one of the vps up in iHeartRadio radio and um and he's very creative he's he, and he's still there and he's <laughs> from well and he jokes about that because i call him once a month hey mark still there yeah. it's like yeah i guess i don't even know at this moment so yeah. there's some really really neat uh people that i never thought that i would run into and even you know and it just seemed like everybody that worked in radio everybody um is awesome unique yeah. and uh and uh i'm uh, i'm gonna miss it but man it, it's 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 awesome to talk about it yeah. and i'll as you can tell i'll talk about it oh yeah, as, yeah as, we'll and yeah. and you know and like you were trying to do to try to get everybody together if, if we can get yeah, you know get nice. a group of us together it's going to be an absolute zoo oh yeah i don't know how you're going to pull that off uh from a technical lots, standpoint lots of editing afterwards <laughs> i know that <laughs> but that that is going to be that's going to be something and i really thank you for uh yeah. for setting this up and and letting us you know spout oh, yeah. about that and even hearing what other people have done you know hearing jojo's story and uh there was stuff that he had said to you that i had, i didn't even know yeah um and hearing it from from different angles about how people saw it because you know we were all together but we were also kind of not we were all kind of doing our own like i have no concept of what what he was doing with that morning show i'd show up at 10 you know and i would just i'd be all mad at him because he didn't pull my music for the next hour you know that was that, that was you know that was about it well i was the guy that pulled his music so okay. that's why i got to know joe a little bit better yeah yeah and he was he was you know he still is a character but uh he would you know he was he was tenacious about that morning show and oh yeah and he he did stuff sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't and he was one of the guys that taught me you know just keep going if it does if it blows up in your face just keep going oh, yeah. just don't stop and you know and uh and yeah i learned stuff from from all kinds of different people it was it was amazing it was you're just, right about the nice guy thing too because you know what well you for instance i remember i talked to you about learning that how to use that production studio i just figured you were master at it. <laughs> yes i didn't realize well, that you know and you were fairly new and this but, is what's interesting you taught me you know and I, and I run into people all the time and i don't remember that and yeah. i wish i wish i did kind of um, like the kid with the signature yeah, yeah. and i and, never did get your autograph though and i <laughs> and you and now it costs something you know to yeah, get it. Yeah. um but i run into people now that have said things to me just like that i, I ran into a guy who's a really big voiceover talent now who does a lot of the, the kiss radio stations across the country okay and i connected with him the other day and he said i want to thank you for what you did and i go like what do you mean he goes you were the one who told me that i should go out and do this for a living yeah i did you know because i had heard him do it in cincinnati on the local kiss radio station and i thought when i heard him i go man that guy's really good he ought to be they ought to just make him the guy who does all the kiss radio stations right. and then he did he went to somebody and said hey why don't i just do this for all the stations they said that's a great idea why don't we do that and so there's a lot of a lot of i'm, I'm so glad that i was you know nice to people yeah. and showed people i was usually just really excited anybody if you know when you came in and to, to want to learn something about the production studio i was probably thrilled that someone was actually interested in something that i was interested oh, yeah, in because yeah. nobody wanted to learn oh i always loved it yeah nobody wanted to learn that room in fact a lot of times they would go in there and break stuff and i'd be like you know like <laughs> 
get out of here. Just drop the vocals and I'll take care of the rest. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, there was, I, I was so glad, you know, that, that I could even touch not just the listeners, but other people, yeah, you right. know, in that. And it, it, I'm always surprised when I find out, you know, the, you did this and you were really nice enough to do that. And I was like, oh, you know, that's, thank you. Well, that's you know? what I, I felt real humble too. When I, when I talked to Joe and he said that, um, you know, I asked him to be MC at the Muskegon Harbor Hilton when we were doing comedy night. And he said I was one that got him involved in that with the comedy. It's the first time he's done it, and he loved it, and he, he did it ever since. Yeah. And that made me feel good. Yes. You know? You know, Even though it was like, you're, you're bailing me out of this. Exactly, you know? yeah. And but, that, right. Yeah. And that's 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 a lot of the, uh, yeah, a lot of that stuff, you know. Um, yeah. And, and inter- I wish I had also intermingled more with other radio people, because we did a thing one time. They didn't like you. <laughs> <laughs> I think they would have. Yeah. I think they would have been. Yeah. I would have, because I, w- I was fascinated with all radio stations. But I remember I came, we were, this is when I was voice tracking, and I was voice tracking for the Fox in okay. Grand Rapids yeah. from Cincinnati and they were doing the big concert down at the Ionia Free Fair okay. and this was the first year they were also going to add rock music so the rock station was the thing and I remember I went on stage and the country guys came out two at the same time I said why don't you guys all come out and we'll introduce I think it was Rat that was going to be on stage okay. and um, I got out there and they go what are we going to do just just follow my lead you hang on to the t-shirts and so <laughs> I get out there and you know the crowd there's, I, there must be by that time I was accustomed to talking in front of you know 20,000 people yeah. because we were introducing bands all the time down at the Cincinnati and so I'm out there and I'm you know doing whatever I do and, and I remember I go we got some t-shirts here we need to give away and uh, I'm trying to come up with an idea of how we can do that you know i guess if you if you aren't wearing a t-shirt then maybe we could throw one to you and ladies that includes you if you want to <laughs> and all this, and these the, the guys who are at the country station are holding the t-shirts right and i'm like you know and all of a sudden all these shirts come off <laughs> and there's all these girls and i'm like throw the, sh- throw the shirts and Oh, uh, and so you know that's like something they probably wouldn't have you know you can't do that necessarily you know so it was nice to be able to kind of you know hey kind of join the make, crowd make great live TV yeah yeah just you know hey <laughs> throw a t-shirt and enjoy yourself you know yeah. for for a couple of moments <laughs> and then uh, and then to watch Rat come on and and to watch that whole you know to to watch the bands it was a Rat concert it so was, I can, tell you, you what it, see, yeah. I remember because I remember the 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 lead singer wasn't on stage yet and this is one of those things where they're kind of bringing the bands through really quick and the stage manager kept going i need a little bit more time so i'm like okay a little bit more time and talking and chatting and and all of that and then finally the guy's like the guy's like just go ahead and introduce him and the guy wasn't he wasn't out there yet hmm. and so i start doing the whole let's get ready for you know for rat and the crowd's going nuts and all of that and the band's telling me to stop. The guy, the drummer, is like, dude, no, no, no. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? And so it goes, and all of a sudden I introduce him, and I'm like, here's Rat! And the crowd explodes, and the drummer starts drumming, and I look back stage, and they just had like campers and stuff out back there, and the, the lead singer it falls out of his trailer, pants down around his, his ankles, <laughs> and he's literally running for the stage trying to pull his pants up. And uh, he runs on and starts singing. It was, you know, I was just like, this is cool. This is, I mean, this is, you wouldn't have believed it if you hadn't seen it. So there was, yeah, there was, there was a lot of those, a lot of those moments that you always, well, I wonder what it would be like to introduce that band or, or that band, or are those people nice or are they not nice? And, and, you know, like, you know, meeting David Lee Roth. And I thought that that was going to be a train wreck. I thought that guy was, I thought he was going to be the biggest jerk on the face of the earth. Yeah. And he was the absolute coolest guy 
ever. Really? He was unbelievable. He came into the radio station and uh, he stood in line and he was just signing autographs for the people who worked in the radio. There wasn't even listeners, just people that worked there. He spoke with every single person like chatted with them and then signed in. it wasn't a rush and all of that huh. uh, I ran one day I'm down in the hallway Eddie Money walks up to me he's holding a CD do you work on the radio station oh, yeah I work up on the Fox where is it I look, come with me and we go up he hands me his brand new CD it's never been played on the radio before and tells me to play it <laughs> and then I interview him yeah and then play play the song you know I had no idea he was even going to be there, and he's walking around just trying to get people to play his record, you know, going nuts like this. So there's just... What, what year was this? Gosh, what, what year was it? Had to be... This would have been 96, 97. Okay. And I have no idea. I, can, I don't even remember the song. I just remember I just remember him, you know, take me up to the studio, man. We got to play this thing. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm fine. I don't, I don't care. I remember I, I yelled at for doing it. Yeah. Because I remember they're like, you can't. Well, it's Eddie Money. You don't say no to Eddie Money. Yeah. I mean, I, you know. And uh, so, yeah, there was just all kinds of like interesting stuff uh, like that. And, and uh, it was, it, like I said, it was a great ride. So you want to talk a little Cincinnati, huh? Yeah, yeah. So some of your places that you've, or some of the people that you've uh, ran into in Cincinnati, as far as uh, superstars or just great people. Yeah, you know there was, you know that that being in Cincinnati, um, of course, that was a, just a whole another doorway into another side of radio that was just far and beyond what I ever thought, you know, radio could be. Um, you know, this was when. You know, the morning show guys at this radio station were making maybe half a million dollars oh. a year. I mean, the the money that was coming out of um, these radio stations. I mean, WLW in Cincinnati is just a it's just an icon of a station. Um, you talk to a truck driver who drives truck overnight. And they'll tell you about WLW because it's we actually have a show. They actually have a show that's for truckers on the overnights and it makes a ton of money wow. and you hear truck commercials and all of that um that was at the time when i got there that station made 40 million dollars a year the iconic rock station there which is webn uh that thing was pulling in 19 million dollars a wow. year and the the amount of money that was that was being handed out to jocks and sales bonuses and things of that sort was just was just, I remember getting a bonus I hadn't even been there a whole year I got a full year's bonus and I because they were just handing out bonuses huh. um, so the very my very first couple of years there was just unbelievable they had just bought see they had two radio stations they had bought six hmm. and they jammed all six radio all eight radio stations into one building <laughs> so we were on top of each other and the culture there was such that the two main radio stations hated the rest of us just they couldn't stand us and our job was to protect them so it was a little bit i was it, it was kind of disheartening because i was like wait a minute i want to come down here and be you know, I want to be all I can be. I don't want to be fifth, yeah. but that was the gig. But then I realized, okay, that's the gig. And I'm actually better at that. I'm better at, at helping others and being kind of behind the scenes yeah. and all of that. So there were some radio people that came through there um, that, uh, 
you know, I've met Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, because when they're out doing their stuff and they need to do their show, they happen to be in the area. Boom. They're doing it. You know, and I've had I've had people, um, you know, like uh, Jerry Springer. Hmm. Um, was doing radio for a while. One day I'm working in my studio upstairs and he and a producer bust in and say, we've got to have the studio right now. He's got to be on the air. And I just got up, backed away. He sat down and started doing this radio show. Hmm. And uh, and then I, since, you know, met him and recorded with him and, and things of that sort. And then, uh, um, Bill Cunningham, who does a national syndicated show on Sunday nights, he's an iconic guy there. Uh, started out as a... Uh, just a goofy lawyer who can talk a lot and he's still doing it and he used to do a show at night um and basically they told him he's actually a really good debater so if he ever got anybody on he could tear them to shreds it's the kind of radio that you wish you could do Mm -hmm. but you know it's so uncomfortable for the listener that you can't do it on radio so they told him to dumb down his show so he would do crazy stuff like he would bring on like the mayor of Cincinnati to talk about something really serious and then he would at the same time he would bring in the worst Elvis impersonator he could find <laughs> and sit him right next to the to the to the mayor okay. and he told that guy to be as obnoxious as possible during the interview and it would just completely fall apart and go off the rails but you'd see another side of the mayor and so that was kind of like yeah. the, the, the and they were just kind of experimenting on that news talk station and I got really excited about news talk watching those guys work you know it's one thing to talk over an intro but it's another thing to try to you know hold an audience right. for three hours and I remember talking to one of the guys Mike McConnell who uh, also worked at GN for a while and then came back um and I remember he used to be a production director. And I'm like, oh, wow, maybe I could be a news talk guy. Mm-hmm. He goes, well, here's what you need to find out if you could be. Grab a cassette player and just talk for three hours and just try to be interesting for the whole three hours. Yeah. If you can do that, do it because the phone calls don't always come from the from the listeners. And I'm like, oh, okay. So that's a whole new different side of the radio business oh, yeah. that I got a chance to see really close. Um, I, I, I not, of course, not a big market, but I did that at uh, KBZ when they switched things over to news, news talk and I had to do for four hours I had to do a talk show but we had to do you know the news breaks and stuff like that in it too but, but that's hard that is to hard. That, that to me has got to be I had so much respect for those guys after I saw what they did yeah. uh, that to me um if you did that and were able to do it, that that's really amazing. Well, I'm sure I, I didn't and, get the ratings that they got in Cincinnati, well, but I tell you, <laughs> I, didn't do it, I don't yeah. think a lot of people do because that yeah. there's only a you know there's a couple of people still there at the radio station that are really super good at it, good at it, and I, there's just no way that I could ever do that. And thank goodness I figured that out because you know that was the other thing too is I got to this large market and there were people that were so talented um, in one direction that there's just no way you could even compete and so my job was to sort of just be good in a lot of different directions and then it it sort of changed over but you know you the people that would johnny cochran you know came through after the oj trial Mm. um i think oj simpson was there just before i got there uh the endless amount of bands that would just show up out of the blue um unannounced um they started doing a thing here towards the end where we actually had a little performance studio in the radio station and bands would show up when they really weren't that hot um but they would then like they would perform here and then maybe the next year they would blow up like hinder i remember seeing hinder um 
and it was just a you know four little scrawny dudes that came in nobody knew it they had one song out and we would fill it up with a bunch of listeners and these guys you know would play and you'd be like mm, okay well that's you know and then next year they're like just huge <laughs> um so there was just a lot of people that just kind of roll through um I even had some interesting conversations with people who would come in to do radio commercials, like senators and representatives and things of that sort. Okay. But you would have a f maybe five or 10 minutes of like their entourage would be out in the hallway trying to figure out where the script is at and all of that. And you'd get to talk to a senator, you know, and as just like a real live person. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm, one of my favorite questions to ask was like, why do you do this? Yeah. Politics just seems like the absolute just. And they would always answer with, well, why do you sit in the studio? Because I love it. Believe it or not, I love politics. Yeah, you know, and so that was that was really neat uh, running into that, and then um, also just being on the the forefront, you know, kind of in a bad way. I, I always talked about it was always like working at uh, Clear Channel and iHeart, it was always like working at the very front of the Titanic. <laughs> you were the first one to see the iceberg. Mm -hmm. You were the first one to get hit by the iceberg. And I guess I'd rather know what, what was coming at me than be totally blinded at the back of the ship wondering what went on. And that's what we were. We were at the forefront of everything that went on in the radio industry. I got to see it about a year before it fanned out to everybody else. Oh, okay. And so I was never, you know, I was never surprised by hey all these little markets are being bought up by the big company and they're starting to you know get rid of all these bodies when i felt awful yeah. uh, about it and there was and the other thing about it too is that there was nothing to stop this train from happening it was going to happen regardless of who because i used to talk with friends it would be like you know if we didn't work for this company none of this stuff would be happening oh, yeah somebody else would have you know somebody else would be would be doing this and watching the evolution as but it the goes reason that you, you gave though was because of them buying up the company at the same time the housing market went to down the toilet that sort of yeah lost the, yes they kind of lost what ten million dollars? Yeah, something lost. Like yeah, like fifteen, sixteen billion dollars in, in oh, billion. In, yeah, it was that's, billion. Yeah, that's a little bigger. Um, yeah. and and you know, and working for a big, you know, the big radio stations. We were lucky enough. If you were in a larger market inside the company, you were kind of protected by a bubble. Hmm. If sales met their goals, and you made all this money, right? They usually leave you alone. They would usually leave you alone. But as as it went on, mm. they would get, you know, because the debt just never went away. And they were like, okay, we need a little bit more money from you, a little bit more money from you. Yeah. And they would squeeze that bubble down. And then they got to the point where they're like, well, now we just need to start squeezing bottles out of, uh, bodies out of it. When I first got there, there were 300, radio, uh, 300 people that worked at the radio station. When I left, there were, now this is going to sound like a high number, there were 40 but what those 40 people were doing yeah. was for the whole company. Right. Um, and it was, you know, like they have, like WLW has a full-time news department, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's, I think there's three people on at the same time. But they do news for 26 different markets. Yeah. The traffic guy down the hallway doing traffic does traffic for 10 yeah. markets. Um, and so it, 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 you know, it, it got smaller and smaller. And then, and then the technology of what you could do with what the technology, you know, when I got there, I thought when I was going into a big market, because I was at MUS and they had the sequencers, 
And I thought, oh, this is going to be, you know, when I get to the next station, it's going to be amazing. They were actually light years behind. Really? Yes. Because when you've got a staff of 40 people that work at one radio station, you don't need to upgrade the equipment. You've got enough people to actually make it go. So everything was still on cart. And they were manually firing. Really? Everything. Wow. Even on the rock station. They were playing CDs. Nothing was automated. The station I was on just got an RCS automation system. And they were just testing it. And I remember at first when I got there, there was no CDs, no commercials, carts. It was all in the computer. But I still had to sit there for six hours and hit the button to make it go. Really? Even though it would go all by itself. Because <laughs> they were just so uncomfortable with yeah, it. Yeah. But then they finally got you know comfortable with it. And I got to the point where I was doing a four-hour shift. And I, would, I'd, I voice-tracked my own shift in 20 minutes and then go do commercial production. Right. And then the callers would call in to do a song request. The program director would actually answer it and then insert the song into the log so it sounded like and then I would actually come on the air I could actually jump on real quick and say hey let's take a request from Donnie you know here's this one's for Donnie and I wouldn't even have to name the song right it was just a generic just got a request for this here we go and so you started doing all this that stuff and that was that was kind of you know weird so you're always on the forefront of the technology and, and and what the stuff you could do like you know the um when I got there, I was it was a it was an analog eight track, and I was actually I had two boards. I had the old turnpot board, and a little Mackie board with the sliders, and the eight track was actually plugged into the sliders, and then the that was then plugged into this turn. And of course, when you turned it, the levels would would get all out of whack because it was all. And I think that boards they actually somebody built that by hand back in the nineteen fifties. Wow. And then they got rid of that and gave me like kind of a real board. And then we we started getting like the cool edits for the, you know, the, and then I remember we built a room that was strictly for a Pro Tools machine that nobody knew how to work. You had to know how to actually work Pro Tools to get the studio to work. There was no board. And that was the first time I came across that. And that would have been what, in 1999? Yeah. And so there was all this new technology coming out uh, that I got a chance to see. And I found that more fascinating than than the rock stars. Because after a while, then as we started consolidating, my workload went from, you know, what it was normally to, you know, to four or five times what it be. And, and you know, I remember listening to uh, other people in other markets talking about, you know, I did 36 commercials today and... And, you know, and, and I'd be like, you know, that's nothing, you know, because <laughs> we were doing, you know, we were doing stuff where like we were the flagship station for the Cincinnati Bengals and the Reds. And the way they worked it there was, is that we actually ran the whole broadcast. We sold all the commercial inventory for the games yeah. and we, we paid the Reds whatever we paid them and then tried to recoup all of that um and so we had to do all the commercial production for that and that also ran on the 125 radio stations that went in their in their thing and we were kind of totally in charge of that same thing with the bingles they didn't have as many stations but you had to run all that stuff and create all that and the commercial production for a news talk station is entirely different oh, yeah. Yeah. than uh, than that so we would be doing I remember the my I had nightmares about it. They would hook up with like also like with the State Farm Insurance, and the way they would sell it is is they would they wouldn't just sell it to one agent. They would sell it to sixty eight 
agents. So that means you're doing 68 tags. And you'd be like, yeah, call Jeff. And of course, his name is always unpronounceable. Yeah, whatever it is right, right. for all your insurance needs blah, blah, blah. and you'd be doing 68 of those and you had to get them done you know like right away and uh, so that was that was kind of the what I really enjoyed about that Cincinnati is I got a taste of you know the big disc jockey stuff there right at the, the first couple of years then it went into that okay now we're we're consolidating yeah let's start voice tracking and that was back in the day when they actually paid you money to voice track um, yeah. they would they would pay us anywhere between five and ten thousand dollars per radio station to voice track wow a year um and um but that went away really quick because there was a there was a girl that worked down there that was doing 12 radio stations at ten thousand dollars a pop and they were like i don't think we can pay somebody one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year to do this so they kept they kept yeah squeezing it down squeezing it down and and now i think they've they've got it rigged up the stuff they're doing now just before i left is mind-boggling what they're doing they'll have a jock like you just cut just a bunch of generic breaks and then you also cut station specific breaks but then what they'll have you do is they'll do have you do this they'll have you id the radio station and that's just it and then then do the break behind it so now when they put it all together inside the computer it's you identifying the radio station with what you said out the back side and it sounds like you said the whole thing in right. one long thing right. so now you're doing you're doing a hundred radio stations you're just doing the identifier up front and all that stuff's running out the back end and they've got a whole staff of people putting this in the computer system so that it actually fires and it sounds really really good right. the imaging side they're doing the same thing i image a radio station where i just voice like little snippets of this and that you go to a website you upload all that audio somebody does a little bit of mixing with your stuff and then there's it comes in three pieces a beginning a middle and an end you can select i want that i want that beginning that middle of that end and you hit download it down mixes it and downloads it and throws it at wow. you and then they you, so you can make as many sweepers as you want i want to play in your world <laughs> i'm not in it now but that's that's what that's the kind of stuff that they're working on and this the even scarier stuff that i saw just the very beginnings of it is they were actually starting to sample voices okay and so let's and say just using, using, let, okay let's say ahead. i want you on this commercial all right i type out a script and i hit the oscar button and oscar's reading it okay kind of like what they're doing Kind of like the what they're doing now. Kind of like what they're doing, like with like Siri. Yeah, and that is you're not actually saying the words anymore. Okay, you're now just saying the little nuances inside the words. Because Siri actually doesn't; she's not saying all the words. The computer's putting together all the sounds with inside the word. Okay, to make the word. That's how you notice the inflections are getting better and better because they're starting to. Yes, <laughs> it is. That's the kind of stuff that that I was seeing. But what that does is, as you can see. We're not we're not going to need production directors anymore, you know, for that. Um, and uh, hopefully they'll run in. You know, I, I think there'll be a market for that. But you know, there always there'll always be a market for the you know the hands-on kind of stuff. But the the stuff that the tech that's what was really fascinating about being there. I went into the dinosaur ages when I first got there, and then came out you know like light years ahead of where most radio stations are at and you know now most radio stations aren't even there anymore because right. they've just now released that that ruling that you now don't need 
your on-air studio with inside your listening area. Right. So that's going to change everything. And they were starting up there in Cincinnati. They were starting to they were starting to build out. You know, I wouldn't even call them studios. They were starting to build out just these rooms mm-hmm. where that was going to be. This was going to be a studio that operated this group of radio stations and that one. And so there wasn't even going to be a building in the listening area. Right. What, is, what do you need for a studio anymore these days? You don't really, yeah, you don't really need it. Yeah. And so that's the, that was that stuff. Good mic, mixer, and computer. You're yes. <laughs> yeah. You're and, and now with and, and this whole COVID thing, you know, everybody, they forced, see at the radio station that I was at, they knocked it down from from 40 people down to 18 essential people that would show up and and i think then they went down to nine hmm. and a lot of the talk show host guys we had, they have a show they have a show there where the guys are actually doing the this, this show together but from their own houses yeah and they can actually do it and interact with callers and there's a little bit of a delay but it's it's pretty close and now they're talking about you know not even sending these folks back and we were all begging for that in the first place right because oh, i could have done my job from home home yeah uh i could have done that since maybe 2010 because mm. we went to an electronic production order where you didn't even need to it's just a website right there's the script upload your audio right um the audio now auto loads <laughs> i can just put the commercial up and it auto loads into the into the on-air computer you don't even need to dub it over anymore yeah so there's oh you don't even need to dub it you just you don't have to. Okay. That somebody else. Yeah. In fact, a lot of the, in fact, a lot of the network um, stuff that you hear, um, like from, let's say the Geico commercials you hear on radio, those are usually network spots being sent down from high up top. Um, those are being loaded automatically. And here's what's even you want. You want to do this again. <laughs> There's a position in the log that's just left there. Doesn't have anything in it. It's a cart number with nothing in it. When it gets to that point in the log, it signals some server somewhere in the world yeah. to play a commercial. Those people are responsible for whatever commercial runs. So they just fire it down the line. It runs in its place. They can do their own affidavits because now they're in control of it. Okay. And then when the commercial's done, it flips back to us. Huh. And sometimes they don't send something down. <laughs> and you have no control. You got thirty seconds or sixty seconds of dead air. Yeah, um, but that's how they're doing it now. So, um, and they're also doing it now where that's kind of like the satellite, all, all the pretty much the satellite uh, radio stations too. Yes, is kind of built the same way. Kind of built the same way. At, at oldies when they switched over to satellite. Yeah. That's but this is all being computer. But, but, but they could they could literally within let's say this the commercial is going to going to run in five minutes and they need to switch it out. Yeah, they can they handle that on their own end. They right. just switch it if they want to and and they throw it and we don't even know what it is. Wow. Okay. And we don't even need to to tell you the truth. Right. Which right. is which is just bizarre that you're handing over your whole. Here you go. Yeah. There's, there's thirty seconds. Because yeah, back when we started, when I started too, I, we were you were filling the logs out. What was what was played? You had to check all that stuff. That's all automated. Transmitters. Now. You had to check those. All the time. That's all yeah. automated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the AM stations—you had to turn them on in the morning when you got there. Yeah. You know, so yeah. And that's and the other thing too about being there is WOW was one of the uh, I wouldn't say it was the first radio station online back. I think it, I think they came on board in 1933. Um, 
they were the only radio station that went to 500,000 watts. Wow. And they did that for just, it wasn't, didn't last very long because the power that it required to actually broadcast was just mind-boggling. But the shell of the transmitter is still at the transmitter building, and it's two stories tall. Wow. And it's got these capacitors downstairs that are like the size of a tanker truck yeah and i can't remember how much how many they actually they actually put oil in them to keep them cool i think it was like five thousand gallons yeah. and now uh, just this last year uh fema showed up with one of these uh bomb shelter broadcasting um units and i think that station's one of it's either 12 or 32 radio stations across the country that got this fema uh, but basically it'll recycle your waste you breathe you breathe filtered air in case of a of a bomb you know the case of the end of the world there's two big basically uh, shipping containers <laughs> and they've actually buried them in the ground and that's where we would go in case we and there's a, like there's like eight people who have these official looking cards that can only go there and all of that so i got a chance to see see that and yeah. in there and uh that actual transmitter that big one that was water cooled so there's a pond out back and it has all these pipes and tubes but every transmitter that they've ever used is there so you got the big two-story one that's probably 50 it's got to be 25 yards wide, long, two stories high. Then the next one's about half that size. Then the next one's about half that size. And the one they're using now is like, you know, the it's like the size of a milk crate. It's just yeah, there's, there's really a Facebook uh, thing you can join about transmitters. Is there? Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's in there somewhere. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty. So that's, there's, there's a lot of great uh, history there because I think Crosley, the Crosley radio is the old time radios from way back when. Yeah. Crosley was the guy who actually started that radio station he also owned the reds and the reason he started the radio station because he wanted to broadcast okay the reds games so and then of course voice of america uh way back in the day that broadcast on shortwave that was right next door to the transmitter site so that's got you know the antenna array and that thing is just mind-boggling it's no longer in service but uh that was right next door and i got a chance to to see that so there was a lot of neat things they were they were doing there and when i got there in 96 the way they did broadcast remotes and things of that sort we were doing that all with microwaves okay. from the from the trucks instead of dialing in on a phone and all of that we were doing and you I could see and they did they use that at all or no no we went right past that okay we went to we it was all radio based all microwave radio based okay for everything we we totally went past that i was so excited when i had isdn <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and 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 now that you know now it's the stuff they did you know with the setting up the new building it's all fiber yeah and then it's also backed up with you know microwave and things of that sort and i'm sure they got a backup on that and then they actually had a, a a couple of satellite dishes where we could broadcast up to a up to the bird in case somebody big was you know in in there just rush limbaugh's and things yeah. of that sort would show up so it was that was you know from a from a geek engineering yeah. oh, standpoint yeah. it was really cool and the engineering guys are there yeah. these are people that are so intelligent you can't even communicate with them right i mean they're just on a just a totally different saying hi to them is just you know if you can get the guy to say hi back that was like oh, oh my god because <laughs> they're just the, the 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 mental power and the stuff that they were doing there was just fascinating you know guys that could yeah. build stuff the engineering staff they had there they was the old time engineer guys that could rip a you know they could rip the transmitter apart and put it back together these old craggly old guys with, oh, yeah. with it was that was really cool and then 
you know, the the on-air staffs that, that rolled through there, the iconic people only in, that people know in Cincinnati. Um, but these are people that I used to listen to on that little small radio station, or that little radio that I had, you know, and just, a, it, I just thought it was interesting. I always thought, how cool could it be to work at a little, work at a radio station like that? And then, you know, 30 years later, there I am, you know. Now, 500, we say 500,000 watts, you said? 500,000, that, that was the first one. They, they started. How far at, did that reach? That, I thought they said that would go around the world. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, 500,000 watts. And it was, yeah, that was, that was a lot. And now they're at 50,000 watts. Yeah. And they routinely get, um, they routinely get emails from people, those radio guys who like to listen to radio stations. Yeah, yeah. Um, they'll, we'll get tapes of us just confirming to them that they picked us up in Norway and yeah, Sweden yeah, and things of that yeah. sort. In fact, um, I used I used to get yeah, I used to get that with the sixteen with AM sixteen hundred. Yeah, uh, I used to get this guy who would like, hey, I I think I tuned you guys in. Here's a copy of the tape, and you'd yeah, be, yeah, oh yeah, that's us, homie Dink. You know, yeah, we, we had one from Finland from that little station next door here. Yeah. 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 yeah, so that was you know so those so now it goes, you know, and of course that was a, that's a clear channel station. So there's no radio station at the 700 position east of the Rockies. So that's why that, so there's a couple of stations around the world that you know that that can, can kind of get away with. Called, that's how Clear Channel got its name back when it was right. several Clear Channel stations. But now it goes into Canada and Mexico and I want to say. You know, at least east of the Rockies, it covers all LW does. And then they also have another station there, WCKY, which is at 1530, and that's 50,000 watts. And that does kind of the same thing. Although that penetrates here better. I can It actually sounds louder here than, than, than the other one. Now, see, I always thought that New York and, and Chicago were the big places for radio stations and stuff. So it's been Cincinnati, huh? Cincinnati has, they, we, have a, we had a couple of big ones, and it was just because the Crosley, who actually built radios yeah. and then had the Reds and, and then st and still makes like really cheap turntables. Yeah, I don't even. Yeah, I don't even know if it's this the same company, but yeah, probably not. that was. There's a little bit of yeah. There's a little bit of uh, big time history there at that station. They also had um, who is her name uh, Cooney. So you've got uh, the famous actor. Oh, Clooney. Clo Clooney. George Clooney. Okay, well his his dad is George Clooney, and George Clooney's sister is it rosemary clooney well george clooney's the actor yes yeah okay george there's okay there's george rosemary, rosemary clooney yeah was she famous was, way back famous okay yeah. she actually started it on radio there okay doing some sort of a variety show they had like a like an indoor stage okay. where they would bring in full bands yeah and broadcast from this area in Cincinnati there and that's how she kind of got her start in her business you know one of the first first teams that I ever worked with with another uh, woman was uh, Deborah Casamata and she was from Cincinnati and you know she just always said she was going back to Cincinnati that's where it really is and I'm saying yeah yeah go back to go back there yeah okay. I never realized. I really didn't know that yeah. Cincinnati was such a big. And I didn't market. either. You know, that was it was kind of a it was kind of a shocker because at first when they started telling me all this stuff, I'm like, yeah, yeah, every market, you know, every market has, you know, this is the everything started yeah. here. But the more I looked at it, more I was like, wow, they really did some, you know, they they did some some 
really interesting things at first and then and then you know they would kind of it would start there and it would kind of fizzle because it you know they they used to have you know people on staff the the amount of bodies they had there that were running these live shows and all of that um was just just mind-boggling and it just got so you know it just he couldn't afford to do it yeah um and all of that but there was yeah there was a little bit a little bit of history there there's also um some djs that actually worked in really large markets like in new york and things of that sort that actually went to new york hated it and came back to cincinnati uh the guy by a guy by the name of jim scott he used to work in between um wolfman jack okay and who's the sports guy? Um, it was a, he's a famous sports guy now. But anyways, he did it. He did it. He DJed in between these two guys. Yeah. And you're just like, what? He goes, yeah. yeah I knew Wolfman. And I knew this other guy. And I'm like, it was just insane. Yeah. And I go, you didn't want to stay there. He's like, no, I didn't like it. I'd rather just come back, come back here. So it's interesting how you know the you, you sort of run into somebody who knows somebody, and that's what that's been even fascinating too. The amount of people that you you know kind of like, oh, you knew that guy? Yeah, okay, I knew him yeah. too. And and all of that. So Cincinnati was, you know, that was that was a big enough market for me, and um, and it, it gave me it gave me a chance to see if I could make it there, and I, I think I did okay. You know, I think twenty four year run is, is not. Did too, you do like uh, Mary Tyler Moore and throw your hat in the air? I didn't. You know, I didn't get a chance to uh, to do that. No, I think if anything, it, it probably was trying not to throw up when I was standing in front of those five thousand people at that first thing the yeah. second day I got there. Yeah. Um, I was totally freaked out. You know, being in what I considered, you know, a huge uh, radio market. And uh, now, was there any station like WKRP there? I mean, did you ever run into one of those? I would say the station I was at at the very beginning, those those eight stations I was at, yeah. was probably as, as close as you could possibly get. That was, again, another one of those groups like we had at Sunny, yeah. where it was really, it was like the right people at the right time doing all the things that they could do. The management we had there were like, do whatever you want. Yeah. As long as we're making money, you do whatever you want. In fact, they didn't mind. They actually would... would would challenge the program directors to rig it up so that they would get phone calls, complaint phone calls, because mm-hmm. they figured if the, if if people weren't complaining about what they were doing, then they weren't we weren't we weren't connecting well, with that. With the audience, the, yeah. the most fascinating thing was is that on the on the FM rock station uh, EBN, it was the most sexist, just in your face, out of control. Um, this station played all the music that you could think of without the edits. If 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 the oh, song okay. came with with f words and things of that sort, yeah. they wouldn't play the edited version. They would play that version, and nobody said a thing. And if anybody did anything on the air that was sexist, they would call the station manager, who was a female. <laughs> And she was like, "Yeah, okay, I'll take your thank you, you know." And, and then nothing would happen. Right. They even had a line set up to call in for your complaints. So, and you, they would record them. You'd just leave your message, and they would put them in promos. <laughs> you know, yeah. and they, and it was it was they would turn everything they, they could into something entertaining. It was kind of like having, you know, in your family, kind of like you had that really cool child who was just a big troublemaker but a ton of fun and you had to just kind of deal with them that's what this that rock station was like that it was doing everything basically they did everything you couldn't do okay that you and i couldn't do with the radio they did it yeah and i just stood there and and i was i mean i was right i just could stay in there and watch i wasn't part of it but i could watch it they did they did the craziest 
ridiculous yeah. stuff on the air. All the everything you wouldn't do that the program director told you not to do, these guys did. Oh yeah. All the, and, and they and they did it. And then because we protected them with these other rock stations, we had like an alternative and a classic rock, and these guys were kind of like right down the middle of the road. They they then got an extra boost, an extra life. They probably got an extra ten years because they were protected. So and the way we would do it to keep listeners to them, even if the music wasn't right, we would. I always made a joke that on the rock station we were classic rock, but I I was I always thought that we were the the station that played the worst classic rock if it sucked we played it if it's classic <laughs> rock and it sucked we played it and I remember if we ever got too close to them there was two songs we played more of one would be the wreck of the Evan Fitzgerald oh, if you just add that one or two more times a day that would that would pull your audience back oh, and yeah. send them more that way and there was some Elton John song we played that just that 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 uh Rocket Man. I don't know if it was Rocket Man or not. That actually might have been too good for us to play. Oh. Um, <laughs> Funeral for a friend. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was something. Like, it was something like that. I just remember that those okay. were the two songs. We all of a sudden. Why are we playing these? Oh, uh, we got a little too close to EBN. We have to kind of back down. But that was that was another. Um, thing but the other thing i learned too at that at that so one of the guys that imaged the the rock station that i thought was like gonna be this oh man this guy's great i can't wait to learn from him was actually kind of a disappointment because what i found out was is that he wasn't a very nice guy and he would also take like two weeks to make a sweeper well if you're putting two weeks into a sweeper yeah. It's probably going to sound really good. Yeah, and he only did he only imaged that one radio station, so it was a real eye opener to me. It was like, oh wait a minute, this guy's not he's not on the air, he's not making commercials. You know, I thought this was I, I didn't know he was just doing one, he was just an imaging guy, which that was the first time I came across that. Whereas you were at a radio station that just had a guy that did imaging. Um, that station in WOW, in fact, WOW, up until I left, they still had their own imaging guy. Hmm. And so all he did was just image. And that was another interesting side of it. This guy, the guy on the on the AMs is uh, one of my best friends now. Um, that guy is amazing, the, the, this what he does. The amount of stuff he writes. In fact, he writes and produces a ton of stuff and only about half of it gets on the air because... Most of the time, it's either over the over the top, or they just can't. Yeah, and the ideas that you know that that comes out of his mind are just stunning. And he's not even a very good producer, but the way he writes it and the way he gets Jim Cutler, the voice guy, who you hear on ESPN all the time. Um, in fact, Jim Cutler wants to be part of this radio station because this guy makes him do stuff that's like so off the wall yeah. that I don't. I think he does it for free now. I don't think he even I don't think he even charges them anymore. Yeah. Um, so that was that was one of the things I found out being in the larger market that the the people they weren't as nice as they were in the smaller markets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, that was a real eye opener, and it made me appreciate you know uh, Muskegon uh, and even Lansing where I was you know and even Cadillac. It 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 it, it made me appreciate that better there was also one other thing that i don't know if you ever ran into this before or not but when specs howard 
Oh yeah, was spitting out their recruits. Yeah, I, I I went there. Okay, but I didn't go there. What I remember, what I remember, <laughs> they the, told me not not to be <laughs> not to, not to do this. What I remember there is this is well. So then you must have went there because they were telling people to do this. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I went there and I I read and they said no, oh, probably shouldn't do it. Okay. What <laughs> what was always fascinating is we would always get maybe once or twice a year we'd get somebody from Specs Howard that would show up and we either hire them or they would just be kind of there to interview but I I always remembered I'd have to spend a little bit of time with them in the production studio and it was always fascinating that the students from Specs Howard that were sent our way um, because they were in a major market yeah. and they got to hang out with major market people that when they got to our radio station they thought that the stuff we were doing was beneath them right and they thought that they could just be the next Howard Stern. Right. Right? Right out of the chute. And I was always like, what is this school doing to these kids? Yeah. They, you know, you're going to have to, you know, you, you, Specs Howard, sh first of all, should be somewhere in the UP <laughs> where there isn't anything fancy. Because that's what I love the most about my career is I started at a really small radio station. Then the next one was a little bit bigger, a little bit better, a little bit better. And everyone I went to you know, I I never went to one. I never went to one, and then kind of went backwards. Mm. And I thought that meant a lot. I thought it was like you know, if you start, you know, if you start, you know, where it's all really cool. I guess you could use that as motivation to get back to it. But a lot of these, a lot of these kids would come through, and they'd be like, I don't think I can work here. Yeah. This is. I got to do all this stuff. You know? <laughs> I got to do dubs at the end of the night. You know. And, and I got empty garbage. And yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. and and I always thought that that's like wow. What's it? Because I was always because I never went to broadcasting school. Yeah, uh, I studied telecommunications at Lansing Community College, and they had a radio station there that I worked on a little now and then. But you know, I never went to it for the broadcasting. And, right. and what I found out is when I did do some radio classes, I knew more than what was being taught. You know, I remember I went to like an editing class, like how to edit tape and put stuff together. And, you know, I was already doing that, so I, my education was kind of on the job, and I always kind and of you, felt. And you always met people too that you, when you work with that, that taught you how to do that too. Yeah, yeah, your mentors. And I always felt bad for these students going to these broadcasting schools. I was like, oh man, you know, I understand, you know, sometimes you got to do that, but it's too bad they just couldn't have, you know, started at a small radio station and, yeah. you know, learned all that stuff because, you know, we got to do stuff in radio that a lot of these people in the big markets would have never had you know right. you would have never programmed yeah. I you know I would have never done a lot of stuff I, everything I did before I got to the big market I, I, I did it here and I wouldn't have had a chance to do that if I got the even trying to do it in the larger markets even though I knew how to do it there was you know you can't do that this yeah. is you know luckily we weren't a, uh, a union shop because that just takes it to a whole new right. level you know where you can't even you know they got DJs there that can't even touch the board right um, but so that was that was I thought that that was interesting the the the, the people the, there was a lot more talent but then there was a lot more I guess weird attitudes to deal with unless we were just getting a certain kind of person I, I think you were you were interviewing I think Andy O'Reilly who said that he had interviewed with Haas yeah. For a position. Right. Now, I was trying to think what position. It must have been the afternoon when Mark when Mark, uh, Mark Frost, Frost left. Yeah. left. And I never knew that. I never knew that. And that's, either, yeah. and that surprised me because 
it seems like when we would interview, when people would come in, we would find these people, and they were really good. And I have no idea where these people were at, um, but they wouldn't necessarily come from like giant markets. But our ability to find talent, or at least to interview people, really stunned me. I was like, you know, when I when I heard that, that Andy had a pl- had you know interviewed and didn't get the job, or, or I guess he didn't want it, I was like, wow. Yeah, he took the job at Rock. Right. I was like, wow, that's I had a job there, and you know, and they couldn't find anybody to do what I did. I mean, it was, you start to wonder, you know, what the, what kind of, you know, the timing on the people that we picked up right. and where they went was another aspect of that that I thought was fascinating where you, where you caught people um, in their careers. Because yeah. I always thought we were catching people kind of at the beginning of their careers, and I think we were. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the group of people that we got and where they went, it just, I don't know if every radio station there again, I'm I'm in such a bubble. I don't know. You know, does every every market that has a station like that, or you know, a, a, does that happen in every market? Does do people go off? Does that many people come together in that one short amount of time and then go off to do all these amazing, cool things? Maybe they do, but there was there was a there was a group of people there that I was kind of surprised. You know, as I went through my career, I'd be like, wow, that guy's in Baltimore. Dude, that guy's in Chicago. Whoa, San Francisco, L.A. You're like, you know. It just, it just seemed interesting to me that at that period of time that, you know, people were coming through that building yeah. and then it was kind of a stepping stone to, to something else. Well, Britta, I mean, Britta did, you know, quite a stepping stone with that, of course, yeah. you know, mixed up with iHeart after that, but anyway. Yeah, but it, 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 I just thought that was, I don't know if there was some sort of a magical funnel yeah. where these people were coming. I, I don't know how how did people find out about, you know, how did we hire people? There's yeah. you know, a lot of stuff that 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 I would have been, I would love to go back. I'd love to if it was a if it was an animal that we could dissect, I would love to just lay it out and just pull the layers back and just see. I'm trying to remember how I got hired to be honest with you. I mean, I I, I might have had a resume or I, I really don't know. All I know is Louie told me about the job. Yeah, I went there and yeah. I'm not sure if I had a demo tape. I don't even know. And I don't even remember, you know, like, like I don't remember there ever being like, um, like when I got to the larger market, people would be let go based on ratings. Right. Well, that never happened at Sunny. Yeah. Yeah. When you had the job, you pretty much had it unless you either did something kind of goofy or yeah. dumb. And they would usually give you, I mean, usually get it. I, I, yeah. I, yeah, you. I mean, you really had to go out of your yeah. way. Yeah. Um, to, I mean, you really had to. Well, I, for instance, I had a, a demo tape that I had to, you know, sit in front of them and they had to critique it. And uh, and I, there was a couple things I said in there. I said, "Oh God, they're going to hear this. Is that, you know, is this going to be okay?" They said nothing about that. They said the only thing they said is that when you mentioned this thing, you didn't mention where it was at. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm, I'm sorry. I'll make sure to do that next yeah. time. You know, that I was said something about you know. I don't know. I, wouldn't, I didn't want to say. What that it was, was my problem with air checks. Is that I wasn't. I didn't. I never considered myself a, a great DJ. I was a good midday guy. Yeah. Just to get you from the, the morning guy to the next person. Um, my air check sessions mostly went like, yeah, that's that's okay, but. We need it. Yeah. I need you to, can you say something? <laughs> can you put more out there that it, it, you're just not interesting enough? I mean, you're giving us the, you know, the where, when, why, and how. 
but it's, it it needs a little. And I never could find I never could find that yeah. uh, in in my DJ work. I, it, it's always been like that. When I got to that station um, in Cincinnati, the guy like I was I was on after Bob and Tom, and then the guy after me was oh, like geez. was like great. Yeah. The guy after me was like on that guy. Anytime he opened his mouth, it was like gold just flew out of it, and I could I could never get to that. And the the guys on that rock station uh, WEBN, every single one of those people, what they would say something, and it was just like whoa, I can't you can't say that, and yeah. and they would come up with stuff all the time, and I never could I never got to that uh, as a as an on air DJ, um, so that's why I kind of gravitated towards the the, the production side yeah. um, on that, but. Yeah, the air checks. The, the air to follow Bob and Tom. But well, yeah. yeah. In fact, I even got a little story about Bob and Tom. <laughs> when I was at MUS, there was a uh, there was a salesperson. Is her name? Is it Lucy? Mallet. Okay. Yeah. She told me this story. I don't know if it's true, but I hope it is. <laughs> she was a station manager at some station up in Petoskey or Charlevoix. Okay. And uh, one of her, she had a morning show, and it was Tom Griswold. Was the morning guy? Okay. She had a morning show. Well, she had the station she was on. Oh, the okay. station she right. ran right. had a morning show, okay. and Tom Tom was the morning guy. Okay. And once in a while, Tom would go out to a to a bar to do a remote and something, and he met a guy named Bob, and Bob was in a band, and I believe Bob was also a truck driver. So they would do these these appearances, and they got to be friends. Okay. And. Tom asked Lucy if it would be okay if Bob could come on and just hang out with them a couple of mornings every now and then. That'd be fine. That'd be great. So Bob would come in, and Bob was a musician and could play some songs and all of that, and, and so they had a little fun. After a while, um, Bob was hired on, I think, part-time. And um, so they started doing their show kind of all the time, and then I think he went full-time. And I want to say that he was hired in full time, making three twenty five an hour. Hmm. And um, uh, in fact, Lucy didn't tell me the story. Wait a minute, Bob told me the story when I met him at a remote one time. Okay. And since okay, so he's telling me this story about about because I actually I think I I think I asked her one I think I called her and asked her if the story was true and she said it was. So Bob tells me. So he finally gets three twenty-five an hour, and he decides to ask for a raise because the show's starting to take off a little bit. And he asks uh, Lucy for a raise, and she says, "Well, I'm going to have to talk to the corporate guys about that. I don't know if we can do that." And uh, she goes to the corporate guys, and a month later, she comes back. She goes, "I got you that raise. You're now making three <laughs> fifty." They left from that station and went to Indianapolis, and then that's how they kind of blew up. Blew up yeah. yeah. Marty McFly movie. So the Back to the Go Future. Back to the future yeah. It's the it's the it's the teenage. Is it Biff? The, oh yeah, Biff. Okay, yeah. I got to interview him one day in my production studio, and I don't know if I was doing something wrong, but I was interviewing him, and he had a guitar, and he was playing some stuff, and and uh, it was it was it was so awkward. I don't know if I wasn't interviewing him right or what the deal was, but. Uh, I was actually sort of being entertained by what he was doing, and he he looked surprised that I was responding to him in that way. And I thought, well, you know, why would you? you yeah. know? He always he always, I, I don't I don't know what I was doing, but I it was it was fascinating. And I thought, I wish I was better at this, yeah. you know, because I've always wanted, even though it's kind of psychotic, but I've always wanted to do talk radio because I knew it was hard. I just wanted to see if I could yeah I could do it, and I I got a feeling it, it I could probably 
And now you could. Yeah, probably now, yeah. If he, as long as it's not live, I mean, he's a free record everything. He's, he's an editor. But I'm, I'm saying live. <laughs> yeah. The, the that's, live. What it, that's what it was with me. And it was like, yeah. it, it, well, when I went to GVU, because I got hired as program director at GVU, and um, I had to fill in for the, the person over there if they were sick or whatever for doing interviews. And the first time I went on, because I usually had my routine, well, I, she called in sick and was like, I had no routine set up, you know, I had no backup, or, you know, I'd like calling all my friends that I'd called in the past, you know, <laughs> right. and politicians that I knew that, you know, could talk yeah, for an hour, right. you know, and that kind of thing. And uh, so that was kind of wacky, but, you know, that I got good compliments from it, like, that's what I should do. It's like, yeah. okay, cool. But um, anyway, you were talking about, you know, meeting politicians and stuff. And one of the things we did during election time is you talked to the politicians that were, um, you know, campaigning for the guy that was going to work for president. And the one guy who I voted for, I think, back in the day was Blanchard. And uh, he was pushing for, uh, that was for Carter, or not Carter, but uh, Clinton. Okay. And um, so I'm talking to him before, and I'm recording this whole thing, and I wish I would have kept the tape, because he was a prick. Oh, was he? Playing a prick. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, let's get those over with because I, I got so much trouble to do with that. You know, I'm thinking, oh, okay. You know, you gotta, you, you find out the people, though, because, like, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with, you know, George Lessons on TV 13. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. meteorologist. He looks like a nice guy. Well, yeah, he looks like a nice guy. <laughs> but, I mean, I talked to, back with Craig James and, and uh, the other guy, I can't remember his name, but when they were there, they would do the news for, or the weather for us. So I'd call him and record him and put him on the radio, you know. And boy, every time George, don't you got it set up yet? Aren't you ready for me yet? I got other things I got to do. <laughs> every time. I mean, it was like, I could see if you had a bad day once. But this was like every time he, he talked to him, it's like, oh, come on, now aren't you, you, you should know by now to be set up for me when I call. <laughs> like, I'm running a radio station. I'm playing all these two-minute songs. Come on, give me a break here. You know, oh, but yeah, cool. he was he was horrible. But uh, I ran into John Lovett. I think he used to be on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, yeah, John Lovett. Yeah, he was a major prick. I don't really? know. If, I don't know. If, I don't know if they caught he him. He was a prick really well. He, and, yeah, comedy. -wise, and maybe yeah. he is. Uh, he was. God, he was. I remember. I didn't actually. I just heard about it. But um, it, it sounded like that he was just, just the biggest and I tell you what to offend the guys there in that radio station it took a lot because usually their job was to offend the guest right that's what they were trying to do um so I don't know I don't know what he did and then the only other the only other funny thing that happened was <laughs> I was going to introduce I don't know if it was ELO or the band formerly known as ELO or it was when ELO was touring but not with the lead dude uh, Jeff Lynn. yeah okay so and I remember I asked somebody I, don't, I was backstage at this thing, and of course, you don't, I don't know anybody. You know, everybody looks the same. The band members look like the roadies. The roadies look like the band members. <laughs> I'm like, hey, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm here. I'm supposed to be introducing ELO, and whoever it was, and I want to say it's got to be one of the guys from the band, he goes, nobody introduces ELO. <laughs> oh, all right. Okay. Well, can I talk before you guys go on? Yes. <laughs> but do not introduce us. Okay, all right, gotcha. And this was without, because Jeff Lynn was ELO. Yeah, I think it was, yeah, cause they, this is right when they were having that, there was, I think there was a big fight over it, because I remember we, 
I remember we started advertising it as like, hey, ELO is going to be here. And then somebody said, well, we can't say ELO. It's got to be this. And so there was some sort of ongoing yeah. um, thing with that. But I just, God, that guy was so new. Like Creedence Clearwater Revisited. <laughs> All of that. Yeah. So that was, that, was, that was always fun. The, uh, you know, the, the, the meeting of the celebrities really wasn't anything that I was impressed with. No, nah, not really. Because most of the time I knew these guys... You could just tell they were just like normal people. They right. just had really awesome jobs. Right. And so if I ever did run into anybody, I was always just trying, could I, is there a way I can talk to this person but not gush all over them and just, is there anything I can find yeah. that they can talk about, that they would want to talk about and all of that. And, and I guess sometimes I did, I, I did an okay job with that. But it was always interesting. A lot of times, you know, they would... I never did. I never knew what to say to him. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would just try anything, you know, like, you know, what do you think of this? And, and all that. Or, or, try, or sometimes they'd even come around and ask, hey, is there anything you wanted? Is there anything? And I'm not even, like, not even recording. We're just trying to kill a couple of minutes yeah. here. Is there anything on your mind? Or yeah. And most everybody would, would just start, and it would be interesting. What they, A lot of them were in, into, you know, like, what's going on in the world? Or yeah. or they've got, you know, they got, oh, I'm, you know, my kid's at home and he's doing this. And just, like, you know, no stuff. And... Like the going to the concerts and all of that, I really wasn't a big concert guy, but I loved being at the show, but like either on the side of the stage yeah, yeah. and just kind of watch how they sort of, fun, or at the soundboard yeah. trying to figure how they they all put it together. And I always thought that that was kind of an interesting thing, uh, watching them do that. And we did a lot of concerts um, there. We had three or four different venues where there it just seemed like there was somebody there all the time and some of these places were really small like I remember they had gosh what was this it was Firehouse Rat and <laughs> Warrant maybe um, and it was just at this I mean it was it was like they set up on your on that card table over there <laughs> and it was it was and it, there must have been maybe just a couple hundred people uh, there and I wasn't even there for a station event. It was it was the other station's event, and uh, I was just like, man, I can't believe these guys come out and play these shows, yeah, you know. Yeah. And uh, I just thought that was was really weird. I'm <laughs> one of the best things that ever happened to me, and I kind of laugh about this all the time. So it was going to be Cinderella and Winger at Valdu Lakes, and we gave away backstage backstage passes and I think front row seats. But of course, Valley Lakes, it's just, yeah. it's just benches. I, yeah. I'd never been there, so I had no idea what I was walking into. So we got backstage, which backstage is like, what a joke. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's a slab of concrete, <laughs> picnic tables. And uh, so <laughs> we're sitting there and we're eating, and I'm, I'm in my, uh, my Sunny FM silk jacket. You know, that <laughs> no, I remember <laughs> Great. And I got this stupid, <laughs> stupid sunny shirt on, like my basketball jersey <laughs> underneath it, you know. And I'm, I got my hair going and the mullet in the back, you oh, know, the and mullet. I'm all yeah. spiky yeah. on top. I just think I'm this badass dude. And it's these two high school kids, and they're just totally enamored with everything. And Cinderella comes up that they come out of these trailers, and these these girls all dressed up really weird come out with them and they kind of just walk to the fence and I don't whatever so these guys come up and I'm just this is just this is so goofy so when the Cinderella comes up um, the whole band comes up so the, the drummer and the and one of the guitar players who's got these big bulging eyes I can't think of his name uh, they're about this tall I mean they're just <laughs> small the bass player has the best big hair I've ever seen it's blonde and it's just 
perfect. And then the lead singer, which everybody knows, yeah. um, he's there, and uh, he comes up, and they just start signing autographs. And but the kids aren't saying anything. You can just tell they're just like. <gasps> so I decide, let's have a conversation. So I start talking to, to Tom, the lead singer uh, and the guitar player, about you know like uh, the only thing I think of is like, hey, that video you guys are at, where was that with those interesting rocks by the water edge kind of thing? And he's like, oh yeah, that was, you know, whatever he said. And, whatever thing. and then I talked to the guy with the, 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 the hair, and I, it, you know, and he, he, he care less. But these two little guys, I walk up to them, and I ask them some kind of a question, and one of the guys looks at me and goes like, you have no idea who we are, do you? You have, you have no concept of what we are. I go like, well, you're, well, you're Cinderella. He goes, no, you're, you're not a rock and roll guy. You know, it's just some sort of Tom Forty DJ. Yeah, that plays Cinderella. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you, you don't. You, you just give away. Just and I just I just started. La I just thought it was the funniest thing. I'm like, you're like you're two midgets. I mean, what is you? How do you even reach the the, the drums? You know. And, and so I, I got into a back and forth with them, and they had to separate us. And. And, uh, and and all of that, and I just thought it was so funny. And then I remember we went out, and we had seats. I think I had seats in the second row, but there were so many people there that I kept getting pushed off. This, believe it or not, I got pushed off the side, yeah. and they wouldn't let you stand in the aisle. But, I, but but this is my seat, and they're yelling, and Cinderella's up there in their stretch pants and winger and all that, going crazy. It was it was the funnest time and the worst time I've had all in yeah. the same same night. But that was. Yeah, that that Tell you, was a great place to do that, though. It was, yeah. it was, yeah. I mean, it was, it was the perfect venue. For, once I got there and I saw what was going on, I'm like, wow, this is, yeah. you know, and and that was the perfect concert for it too. And uh, the but yeah, the acoustics weren't that great, but yeah. no, no. And then we ended up running into this again. It was at Sunny. Um, I think my wife. Uh, I had tickets to go backstage to sing Winger at some place and. In there, but she went with the other radio station people, and I, and I remember she got a photograph with Kip Winger. And my wife is four eleven, so she's not very tall. Yeah. So she's she she's got a, she goes look at this photo, and I go like the first thing I do is like are you guys are you sitting down or standing up? We're standing. <laughs> and, ah, Kip has got to be maybe five foot five yeah. one. Yeah. I'm like is he that? She goes oh dude he's really really teeny. I'm like I didn't even know that. Holy crap! So that was always what I was most interested in was like you know seeing these people and like oh my gosh they're tall they're small they're yeah. usually they were way smaller uh, than I thought they would be. But uh, um, I remember John Mellencamp's band came in and uh, that's when they had jeez uh, they had well, they must have had maybe eight or ten musicians. That was a cool concert to watch from the side because yeah. there was a lot going on. You know, stuff isn't working right and all that. But that was, that was, I was always fascinated, you know, yeah, by that. Let's go. You know, the, the, you talked about Baldu. I, I remember when I was, when I was uh, doing those uh, LBTV shows for TV40 and, um, we had set up for Valdu to to interview Molly Hatchet. Well, the guy that I had that was the you know I was behind the scenes. The guy that I had to interview these people um, went to the concert with me. He got just loaded, just blitzed. So we and they're they're backstage basically went to their bus. You know, okay. we went went to their bus, and he goes up. He goes hot, and he crawls over flat. Flat on his face. He didn't fall backwards. He fell flat on his face, you know. 
So I ended up saying, okay, camera, just point it to, at this group, and I'll do the interview real quick, you know. Like, it, was, it was like these guys are looking at him like he's just yeah, here on the, on the ground, you know. He, he was just blasted. It was amazing. Cause, you know, we got free drinks, you know. They were giving us free drinks, and it was like he went a little crazy. So When was this? What, what, when was this? What year would that have been? Oh, geez, that would have been... That would have been right around early 90s, I would think. It's yeah. funny you mentioned the bus because um, Molly Hatchett played one of our fireworks displays one 4th of July. I want to say it was in the early 2000s. And where we where they did the fireworks is down on the Ohio River, and there's a thing called the Serpentine Wall, and it's kind of a wall that kind of snakes back and forth. And in these areas where it's kind of concave is a flat part. And if the river's low enough, you usually did you, you put the concert kind of down in that little bowl area there. Yeah. And um, trying to get vehicles down there can be a little tricky because depending on where the water level is, Molly Hatchet insisted that they get their bus right behind the stage. <laughs> now the sta- <laughs> I mean, the stage was no more than 20 feet from the right, water. Right. They somehow got that bus down there and behind the stage. And I don't know if that was something they just automatically always did. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I was that, and uh, I, I I just remember. I remember getting there because I was supposed to do a little shift before that, just broadcasting um, this and that, and uh, I just remember like, what? What's the? What's behind the? What's behind the the, the stage here? Oh, that's that's uh, Molly Hatchet's bus. Yeah. Their bus? Yeah. They said they they have to have it behind the stage. Really? Yeah, Molly Hatchet. I mean, I love Molly Hatchet. I love yeah. their I love their music, but they they were a little bit. Were they? They were a little bit like <laughs> we are really important people, you know. So. Which, when I think about it, Molly Hatchet doesn't rise to that yeah. level of, no, no, yeah. that's, yeah. and then I tell you, the nicest, have great album covers. Yes. <laughs> the nicest person that I ever met in the whole wide world when it came to entertainers was when, and this is one great thing about being an MUS that I was totally blown away with. I went to the country music, is it radio? They bring the radio stations in every year they, oh, yeah, yeah, down yeah, to Nashville. Yeah. I don't know what they call that. Yeah, I, I was never so. I got to go yeah. with Dixon and somebody else. And um, I thought this was going to be stupid. I thought this was going to be the dumbest. I was like, oh, crap, i got to go along. Yeah. I hate country music and all this stuff. And at the time, I actually didn't, ha- I didn't really hate country music because Shania Twain had just come on. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of uh, Mutt Lang, who produces all of the you know, a- ACDC and Def right, Leppard. Right. So I was loving what he was doing with, with Shania. And the music was getting, this is kind of cool music. We get, they, have, they have these sessions down there where you can have artists record liners for you. And, okay. it, and it's in a big room, and they're kind of sitting in these little cubicles separated by, you know, dividers. And you bring your little, you know, your little player, recorder, whatever you have, and you sit down. So I get in there, and I, I see a couple of short lines, so I just get in the short lines, and, and you know, I introduce myself and whoever the artist is. And, and they're like, you know, okay, yeah, yeah, 107 MUS, and, you know, and they're saying what they say, and they record it. I'm like, hey, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, it's, you know. The, there's a really, really long line, and I can't quite figure out who's 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 off this. So I go, I kind of walk around, and it's Garth Brooks. Oh, okay. And this line is enormous. I must have stood in that line for two hours. So, and I'm trying, I'm trying to think, what is taking so long? What the heck is he doing? So as we get closer, of course, I'm tall enough to look over a lot of people, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I see that every single time somebody comes up, he stands up. He introduces himself, shakes your hand, 
he he asks, he offers you to sit down if, you, if you'd like, yeah. which you're gonna, and then he talks to you, like where are you from, what are you doing, you know, and, and uh, you know what what do you think of the, you know, just just having a chit chat. He said, do you need me to record some stuff? Yeah, he record some stuff. And he goes, do you need me to record anything else? Well, not not really. Do you mind if I do a couple of just things off the top of my head? <laughs> That'd be great. You record that. And he says, okay, I think I think that's is that is that good? And of course, the person is just you know they just everybody's just like kind of like froze up. They can't believe it. Yeah. And then he says, okay, well you know thank you thank he stands up again, and he thanks them, and then then the next person comes up and this whole thing starts over again. Yeah. And I'm like, holy. Crap! Is, there's, there's no way he does that for every single person. So I'm standing there in line with my little recorder. By golly, I get up that, get up there, and if he didn't do that same thing, and, and I mean, I could have, we could have talked for a half an hour. Yeah. He was, he was, and I, I think they I thought he was going to say, "You don't like country, do you?" <laughs> no, he, he didn't. He didn't. He just asked me like, "What do you do?" And I said, "Well, I work at the radio station, and you know, I make imaging, and I'm going to take these things and make sweepers out of them." And, he says, oh, yeah, 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 that's, that's, the, that's what you, yeah, obviously I've been doing a long line. Well, they're, yeah, your line is incredible. And he goes, I know. He said, I don't know, I kind, of, kind of feel bad for the other, the other people. I, so, like, well, I think I know why it's so long. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, he was just really uh, kind of a nice uh, down-to-earth guy. And then there's a special out right now, I think, on Netflix. Yeah, I've seen it. Have you seen that there, thing? Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's totally different now than he was then. Yeah. Because he looks like a lot, he's a lot intense and introspective yeah, yeah. than he was then. He just was a nice guy. So I don't know if that was in him at the time, but I was really surprised to see that special because I thought, well, that's... Yeah, I, I, I turned it off. It was kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, it was. I watched the whole thing, but I was like, what is this? He's really... I yeah, it really was like, I don't really want to hear your advice. Thank you. Yeah, he's just... He's, he's all these deep... It's, you're too deep, dude. You yeah, just, yeah, You know, yeah. gosh, you're, you're rich. Um, just, you know... And, and he's telling his music, like they're, they're having that meeting with the musicians, and he's like, okay, now remember, when you're on the stage, this is the biggest thing. Yeah. yeah. You've worked with these guys for how long? Right, right. You need to really tell these dudes yeah. that that's, you know, that that's kind of what, what you're going to be walking into. I mean, I would think everybody would kind of yeah. know that by now. But yeah, he was by far the, the guy that gave the most. And what I really learned from it was, <laughs> when we were at Sony FM, we'd have bands stop by like Trickster and all these little teeny weeny yeah, bands, and yeah. they were always just just dicks. Oh, really? All the, all of them were. They just yeah. thought they were hot snot. They didn't want to record anything. They didn't want to be on the air. They they just didn't want to. They just didn't want to do anything. And they just thought that they were just the hottest things ever. And what I learned from country music was is that the artists in country music really understood how valuable radio was to them. Right. Where the other guys, they didn't get it. Yeah. They, 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 and they could care less. But the country folks, every artist I talked to, they were just unbelievably nice yeah. and gracious and way more appreciative of the radio people that I thought we were, that I thought we deserved, but yeah. that's what I that's what I learned about when that was the that was a great thing about the MUS experience was being able to do that yeah. and like experiencing that because I I would have I never had experienced being with entertainers in that way at an event kind of like that usually in the studio was a different story but but you know when you had them in kind of an event where they're kind of yeah. turned on and all that so I, that 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 really impressed me well, the, about the, that as far as country goes the first time I worked at MUS was. Uh, um, I think it was right. Was it right before Sunny? No, it was right after Sunny, which was 80, 89, 90. It was ninety. Okay. And uh, the first concert I got to go to with MUS was 
was George Jones, Vince Gill, and Conway Twitty. Whoa! Yeah, yeah. They're all three, and then George Jones started the thing because he said, you know, he's no show Jones, so he wanted to start to make sure everybody knew he was going to show. But yeah, I got to talk to George Jones. He was my idol. I mean, I just, oh, no kidding. I just thought, oh, yeah, George. And then Vince Gill, that was when he was just getting started, and I couldn't believe the guitar stuff he was doing, you know. And then, of course, he was with Pure Prairie League. And right. Stuff to talk to him. I didn't get to talk to Conway. Conway wouldn't talk to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, not too much longer after that he passed away. Right. But anyway, but uh, I got to tell you, um, when I was at the Hilton, you know, all these acts would do their thing at either Prolenthal or LC. Okay. And they'd stay at the Hilton. Well, um, I, you know, I saw like Frank Zappa, and he was just real strange. He didn't mind signing the women's breast, but that was about it. You know. And then. We had, um, you know, Kiss was in there, and they were in their party, and, and when Kiss was there, it was the same, I guess Ted Nugent was the opening, okay. something for him. and he was just picking women up and driving them off in his vet, you know, back and forth, you know. <laughs> but the one guy I felt sorry for, I don't know if you remember Richard Marks? Yes. We had a, a code at the, at the lounge, you had to have a collared shirt, or you couldn't get in. Well, Richard didn't have any collared shirts, so he, they would not let him in the... And so here he is sitting in the lobby. You know, people are coming in kind of like looking like, hey, I'm Richard Marks, you know. Anybody know yeah. who I am, you know. And, no, but he sat there, you know, waiting to talk to somebody, you know. I oh, felt so bad for the guy. God. But, uh, and then the monkeys, all that. It was my first, my first and last um, autograph because I asked Mickey Dolans, I said, you know, I was at Rock 95 at the time. I said, can you sign... And it was uh, that what was then this is now remember that mm -hmm. yeah they came out with that after all those years and we were playing it and I said well you know we assigned to all the guys at Rock ninety five so he writes something down and I look at it it's like what the hell is that say <laughs> you know it's good. it did it didn't say anything you know it was a couple little scribbles on there so it's like well forget about the autograph I'll just <laughs> see these guys yeah I was never big in, the, in the getting autographs either uh, no. I've got a friend uh, Dave Savage who insists that he has to get a photograph with yeah. every single and he has got and, and, and Dave Savage is like my size and, and he's just goofy looking he's just goofy looking in fact if if he asked you to take a photo you would actually your your first thought would be like oh, I don't know if I really want to I don't know if I, really, I mean and, but he he's got a photograph with everybody and it's it's uh, it's so funny the only photographs that I have in fact it was it was funny I was looking through them the other day um I got a photograph with uh, the Subway Sandwich guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, boing. Yeah. Um, you know, I got one with, uh, uh, you know, Jerry Springer and things of that sort. I don't have any, like, you know, super-duper uh, famous people. And, and usually the people I get a photograph with usually end up getting arrested for some sort of... <laughs> <laughs> some, sort of, some sort of some sort of thing. So yeah, I was never uh, never uh, never into that. Yeah, that I, into that. Thing. yeah I didn't take any photographs. I wish I had. Yeah, me too. Me too. Really. Just yeah. I can talk about a nation because Alex. Yeah, right, right, right. Sure, <laughs> sure, you met Frank Zappa. Yeah, sure you did. Oh, he signed your breast, right? Yeah, he <laughs> tore my shirt off and he signed it. <laughs> but the the three people that I've actually I actually interviewed. Well, Mitch Ryder was kind of fun because he was in a, in a pool spending time with his kids during the divorce. But anyway, and uh, but uh, Estelle Harris, remember who she was? She was the mother of George on Seinfeld. 
Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was the nicest woman ever. No kidding. Oh, I loved her. Yeah, she was just great. <laughs> and uh, you know, I because she played such a she does mean old yeah. person on Seinfeld. You know, and then uh, the the lead singer and drummer he's passed away now, but uh, from the Grassroots, and I can't I can't remember his name, but he was he was awesome. But Randy Bachman. Now, Randy Bachman, you would think that, because, you know, he was with, of course, The Who. Right. Guess Who, rather. Yeah. And supposedly, you know, they couldn't get, they those two couldn't get along, and he got away from the group, and he went with BTO. Well, supposedly couldn't get along with the, guy, the guys in BTO, and, you know, went off on his own. He was the nicest guy ever. He talked, we talked for probably a good hour and a half, I and mean, it was the most boring interview ever, but I was, you know. No kidding. I'm a big, yeah. you know, BTO fan and Guess Who fan. Huh. And um, he sent me all his CDs that he had been recording in his garage studio, you know. And for some reason, I don't have them now. I don't know. You know I probably sold them on eBay or something. But, uh, yeah, this guy just went on forever just talking about different things. I'd ask him questions and, you know, talked about just gigging with Neil Young and just stuff like that. It was, it was kind of cool. Wow. It, was, it was pretty cool. My first, my first run-in with somebody famous was uh, uh, when I was at that little station in Cadillac. Um, I got, they had, for some reason, they had backstage passes to Rick Springfield. Oh, there you go. And at the time, I was kind of a Rick Springfield, this was right after uh, Jesse's Girl Jesse's came Girl. out. Yeah, yeah. everybody And I think the time. second album, I think he was touring for the second album now. And, um, of course, he was on TV and all of that, and I thought, man, you know, if I could look like him, that would be <laughs> sweet. So I get these backstage passes, and I've got a girlfriend at the time, and we go up to the castle, Charlotte Way. Okay. Okay. So, and I've never been, really never been out of Cadillac at that time. So even just leaving the town was kind of a huge deal. We drove up there and, and I got parked and I got backstage with my pass. And all of a sudden my girlfriend, we found out that we didn't have, we had backstage passes, but we didn't have tickets to the show. Oh, which I thought, I thought backstage passes yeah. meant tickets. Yeah. But apparently it doesn't always mean that way. So. I'm like, wow, well, I guess we're just going to have to stay back. I wonder if I can get on the stage, you know, like on the side, maybe. So, and it, while I'm thinking about that, and of course I'm, what, I'm 17, 18, I have no idea what I'm doing anyways. Um, my girlfriend says she has to go to the bathroom. And of course, we're backstage, and you really can't. And, and for some reason, they must have had everything set up, because there was nobody back there. Yeah. Not even walking around, nothing. I think everything was all set up. So, we just start walking through. They've got these little buildings back there that kind of look like castles <laughs> and we're just kind of walking through looking for a bathroom and we come around this corner and Rick Springfield is standing in the hallway talking to somebody now my girlfriend really doesn't have any idea who he is okay. so she just kind of walks right up to him excuse me sir um, could you tell me where the bathroom is <laughs> oh my God. and he's like uh, yeah it's you know, I think it's just kind of down there to the right and whatever. And uh, she's like, okay, thanks. And off she goes. And I'm just standing there like, man, it's pretty sweet. Holy crap. And he, he uh, talk, finishes with whoever he's talking with. And uh, he turns to me and he goes like, so it's like, do you have to go too? And I'm like, no, no, no I, don't, I don't have to go. And I said, uh, I said, you're Rick Springfield. <laughs> he goes, yes, I am. I am. And uh, he says, what are you doing? I said, well, I, you know, I work for a radio station. And he's like, yeah, come with me for a second. And we go down the hallway just a little ways and into his dressing room. Now, you remember the dog on the, on the covers? Oh, yeah, yeah. That, he had that dog with him. <laughs> and so I was petting his dog, and we just, we just, he just asked me a bunch of questions about what I'm doing. And, 
and all of that. And uh, and uh, then my girlfriend came back, and uh, we must have talked for geez, it must have been ten, fifteen minutes. Wow. Um, he was the nicest. He was the, kind of the nicest guy, and, and all that. I wish I had told him I didn't have tickets because maybe he could have uh, could have got me. Uh, Got me some yeah, tickets, yeah, but yeah. I, I was just like, oh man, I can't really, you know, talking to Rick Springfield and that. Yeah. And I knew a little bit about his about his background and, and all that, so I was kind of asking him a few questions and, and all of that. I've seen since then he does a tour, a, a, a cruise, oh, like really? a yearly cruise where you go on a cruise. With oh yeah, Rick yeah, I, I've seen that. It was like, like not a carnival, but it's a some kind of a seventies yeah, and there was a cruise and there was a like show that. that they sort of filmed yeah, him, yeah. and um, he looks like he really takes to. He, it, it looks like he just anybody. There was a kid that could play like songs, and he had had the kid come up and play with him. And he just, you know, whatever the kid started playing, he would just kind of join him. But it looked like he was—he's very accessible to yeah. just people kind of coming up. And, and that's that's something I didn't know about that. I, I wish artists would do that more, would sort of show themselves, kind of just them being them and, and all that. I think well, there was a happy actor on a soap opera too. Yes, at that time he was. Yeah, he was. He was kind of a huge deal. It's so funny. My girlfriend had no idea. Yeah, that's like, like, you, like, you know who you asked where the bathroom was? No. <laughs> that's the guy we came to say. <laughs> yes? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, obviously, that wasn't a match made in heaven. No, I guess. <laughs> yes, I thought for sure I would lose her to him. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> no, maybe, I, I, maybe I got a shot here. I don't know. She ended up being um, ended up being Miss Wexford County. Oh, there you in go. In 1983, and then she dumped me. Okay. Yeah. Did you have a mullet then? Oh. Um, no, no, the I best mullet ever. That was that was the thing. You def definitely had the best mullet. So. I actually, and I didn't think it was that great. I wanted it to be even bigger and better. I thought that what that Billy Ray Cyrus was working on, yeah, that was a mullet. But yeah. um, my mullet went to a whole new. Let's see, uh, it wasn't as. I wish I had more of a mullet. I was actually disappointed with. So thank you for that. But it wasn't as good as I really wanted it to be. But in '96, I got a photograph of myself. Just after I got to that station in there, where the hair is, is kind of oh, really? coming, it's kind of curling off the, the back Being of Marlo it. Thomas. It just, just, it just, it looks. Oh. You were that girl. I was, you know, I'm standing. You know, got, got my got my fox shirt on, and I'm kind of, you know, you know like I thought I was, you know, hey man, I'm on the fox. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I saw a picture the other day of myself when I was uh, DJing somewhere, and I had the mullet, and I'm thinking, man, I really thought that looked good, too. Really there's good. some photos that Jeannie has of me. Oh, yeah. Of me, there. I'm signing. I, I, we're at a we're at a Beach Boy concert thing. Yeah, and, and yeah. I'm wearing these shorts that are like, yeah, they are so short. Sure. Like, yeah, and I got my my socks are pulled up to my knee. Yeah, what am I doing? That was the eighties. Yeah. Why didn't yeah. somebody <laughs> sit me down? What are you doing? Oh my god, it was so ridiculous. I do remember signing up. We were signing up people. It was like whoever had the best like con like poster. That mentioned the Beach yeah. Boys in our radio station. Yeah, those which, pictures are in there. Yeah. Are they okay? Right. Yeah, and I just, I just, I look and I'm like, God, those shorts. What am I doing? Yeah. And that's back when I was, I think I had just gotten out of the army, and I was so thin. Oh um, yeah. The army had taken me from, I was, I was, I was probably, you know, I probably wasn't this size, but I was really big. I went from, I think I went from like 215 down to 187. There's a photograph of me at home in between. Um, basic training and going to permanent party in in, uh, in Germany, where it looks like like if you didn't notice I was sitting in my bed, you could have sworn I w I'd been like in Vietnam in some sort of like uh, you know 
bamboo cage being 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 uh, you know starved to death. I was like, holy smokes! Um, but that whole um, army experience uh, really did wonders for my radio career yeah. in a weird way. Um, first of all, it gave me um, some interesting stories to tell because the army is just that's that's kind of like it's kind of like Animal House on steroids. It's just when I was there, there was nothing going on, so it was just just a bunch of goofy guys doing goofy stuff. But it really changed me as a person. Um, basic training, that eight weeks, and I want to say there's about maybe three weeks in there where I went from a guy that I didn't really like very much myself to like, oh, hey, you know, it really, it really changed me and really knocked me out of whatever groove I was in. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't, uh, people always ask me that, you know, oh, that must have been, you must have been bummed out when your parents kicked you out. And I go like, it was the best thing that ever happened. Yeah. I probably would be still living with my parents today if they hadn't done that. Um, but that was that was an interesting experience, and uh, that was that was. I think that also helped me with the radio because when I got when I got to Sunny, you know, I was the midday guy and then also the production director. Um, but I would I would do anything. I would I sort of I had this mentality where it was like. You're part of a team. If there's a hole that needs to be filled, fill it. Yeah. No matter what it was. And so I would, I, I would just, I would just do anything. And the army taught me, you know, like, you know, you do it until you drop. That was that was normal. And uh, it would. I don't know if I would have been the same person in radio if I hadn't right. hadn't hadn't had that experience. Um, we definitely took charge when you were there to let people know that you know you acted like you knew what you were doing. I, well, and I that I think that's part of the act. I mean, it was like, well, I, and if I didn't know what I was doing, act like you do, because yeah. uh, and uh, and it was actually kind of easy because nobody else wanted to do commercial production. So it, I don't know why I actually acted like I knew what I was doing because I didn't really have to because nobody else wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, well, see, if I would have known that, I would have been out. Of here. <laughs> I loved it. I uh, yeah, I couldn't get enough of it either. We were in we were in Wiesbaden, which is basically 13 miles west of Frankfurt, and we were in an old SS camp, an old German SS camp yeah. um, base in the middle of, of the city on the top of this hill. So there was like neighborhoods around us, yeah. and we were in this barrack area. And I worked for a basically it was a Lance missile, and at the time it was about it was a 21 foot missile that you'd launched off of this little tank thing and uh, and I actually worked for there was there was a there were they called them batteries and there were five batteries in a battalion and there was uh, there was three batteries that did all the firing and they trained like nobody I mean that's all they did was just train train there was headquarters battery that did all the uh, paperwork for the for that and I was in service battery, which I was, we were supposed to service what everybody else was doing. But it basically was, you did nothing all day long. And so we just goofed around. I mean, we just goofed around the whole time. And, and luckily, I had befriended somebody in basic training. And I don't think if I had him as a friend, basic training would have been that much fun. But he and I, he was from North Carolina, huge southern draw, kind of a short, fat guy, funny as hell we laughed I did more push-ups for laughing in basic training than for anything else we were just laughing all the time and and the reason we were laughing was because the drill sergeants 
when I was in there in, in 80, they were mean, but they weren't allowed to like hit you or, or you know, they, but they would mentally try to mess with you. And, but most of the time, when they mentally tried to mess with you, I found it funny. In fact, when people yell at me now, if I ever really get yelled at, I immediately start laughing because yeah. I just cannot believe that somebody's in my face. It's brought to such anger that they think yelling at, at me is going to work. Yeah. So I usually just laugh. Um, and so the drill sergeant, would they, would, they figured it out that he and I would usually laugh at everything they were doing because we had kind of figured out okay, as long as you can do everything physically, the rest of it's just a mental game. And if you can put up with all the nonsense that they're going to put you through because it's supposed to simulate, you know, the kind of combat situation that you might be in. So they're just going to mentally try to torture you to, to, to make you snap. And if you don't snap, you're going to be fine. Well, we figured that out pretty quick. So they would start terrorizing us mentally. And, it was, it was, and they always found the funniest things to do. And then the other guys that didn't get it we would start laughing at them. One of my favorite things that happened was we were in the middle of this field. Basic training was in Oklahoma. And basically, I think there's only two trees in Oklahoma. There's one way over there, and there's one way over there. And there was a bunch of sandbags around one. And he gets us, he marches us out into the field. We're going to do something. I don't know what it means. Whatever we were going to do, it was the most important thing in the whole world, which it wasn't. And he starts telling us, okay, men, we're going to start doing this. And we're, what are all those sandbags doing over there? Those aren't supposed to be underneath that tree. They're supposed to be underneath that tree. You guys grab a sandbag and get over there. And, it, and, and so I think we had to make like three trips. So we're running with these big, heavy sandbags. And of course, right away I tell Stephen, what do you think we're doing for the rest of the day? Yeah. Stephen's like, I think we know. London is running. He's like, I can't wait for us to get these sandbags over that tree because then once we get over there, we're done with that. And of course... We get the sandbags over to that tree. He starts talking to us, and he's like, what are those sandbags? Everybody grab a sandbag. And London's like, I can't believe we're doing this all day long. So we would, that's kind of the stuff that we would just, you know, we just find it funny as hell. And, uh, and then uh, permanent party, since we were in that SSS, that SS camp, um, and a lot of the German people didn't like us there, but there was a, our military presence back in the 80s was unbelievable. The amount of military people in Germany back then was mind-boggling. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't walk two steps without running into somebody that's in the military in that place. So across the street was this big mansion with a great big giant field. And one day they were having some kind of a festival. And of course the beer's flowing and you would, you would buy these yeah. pint, the huge and thick glass. You would buy the, the glass and then you would, they would charge you then for that and you just kind of carry that thing around. So we're, we're walking around drinking and we come up to this area where this guy is standing and he's, he's standing in front of something that we kind of recognize but we don't really, it's like a banner of some kind and he's yelling in German about something and people are like going, yes! You know, and they're all just yelling. We're in the back and we're standing there and I'm like, hey Stephen, that thing he's standing in front of it, doesn't that kind of look like our missile? <laughs> He's like, yeah, kind of does. And our missile, we could you, you could attach what five or six different kind of warheads to it. Anything from just a normal conventional bomb to mustard gas, nerve agent, or even nukes. And there were there were there were you could dial a nuke in. It was it was like low, medium, and high. You could <laughs> you could set a little lever for it to explode. So, anyways, it kind of had a nuke sign on it. And so they were protesting, basically, us. 
And I remember we're standing there, and, and we're, you know, we're really, really just messed up. And I remember as we're standing there, the people in front of us are kind of like, they kind of stand and kind of look at us like, what are you guys doing? And then the people in front of them, and within a matter of maybe two minutes, just about everybody in this whole thing <laughs> were, were turned kind of staring at us like, what are you two standing there looking at? And I'm like, you know, we might we might want to go, Stephen. It's, it's, it's <laughs> so that was, and then the other thing that happened was there was, there was a bombing in Berlin, and a bunch of uh, military guys were in this discotheque. The bomb went off, and some people, some military people died. And they put us on alert, which basically meant you patrolled the perimeter of this little base. And it was, you were on two hours and off four hours for a total of seven days. And it sucked. Yeah. And they first sent us out with our rifles with ammunition. And then every third guy had a radio, too, that you could kind of radio in. So we're patrolling the thing. Somebody accidentally fires off a round. So they send us out the next time with no ammunition, but we still have the guns. Kids are coming home from school, and they're laughing at us through the fence. You know, little German kids. Some guy points his weapon at the kid and pulls the trigger. Of course, there's no ammo, but the, there's the click. The parents in this neighborhood freak out. Yeah. You know, so now they take our weapons away. Now, we're supposedly supposed to be on alert, right? <laughs> so they hand us baseball bats, <laughs> wooden ones. So you'd go out with a baseball bat, but you'd come back with like a toothpick because you were banging the bat on everything. <laughs> so then they took the bats away, so we had nothing. So every third guy had a radio, and that was it. So if anybody was coming through the gate, I guess you were supposed to yell at that. So we turned that into how much stuff could we take out on guard duty that we weren't supposed to take out on guard duty? How much, like how much beer, yeah. food, cigar, whatever we could find. And the rule was, is everybody who went out on guard duty had to wear the exact same thing. You could wear shorts, as long as everybody was wearing shorts, but it was wintertime. So we had this cold weather gear, but then we had this like extreme cold weather gear where the jackets were just huge and the boots were, you know, in fact, you wore this, you, you, you pretty much would sweat to death. Yeah. But... So we would try to sneak out stuff. And I remember the first time we did cold weather, I think I snuck out a beer. And then we were like, eh, we got the beer. And we would, what we would do is we would meet up and drink the beer while we were on guard duty. And then we'd eat and smoke cigars and you know, just kind of goof around and not do what we are supposed to be doing. My friend goes, listen, let's go with the extreme gear and let's see if we can't bring out a 12-pack of bottles. They're going to clink in the, you know, how are we going to do this? So we put, you know, six beers in each and, and food. We're just out to here with just what we have. And we had to march in formation. And I remember trying to march without the bottles clinking together. <laughs> but you could hear clink, 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 clink. And we did. We drank we drank a, a whole bunch. I came back just just blitz out of my mind. <laughs> but that was the best thing about the Army is that the, their, their slogan at the time was, we do more before 9 o'clock than most people do all day. We change it to we do more stupid things before nine o'clock than most people do in a whole lifetime, and that was true. We did a lot of yeah. really dumb, dumb things, but it, but I kind of got that out of my system. So when I came back, I was focused and ready to yeah. ready to get going, and I, that was a real good thing for me. And then of course, you know, like like you witnessed, you know, if you don't know what you're doing, act like you do. Yeah. And uh, so that's what I kind of did until I 
till I think I figured it out. Yeah. So that was that was, and at that time, you know, I really I was really faking it good. If you if that was '89, yeah, I was. It was about ninety nine percent faking it, one yeah. percent knowing what you were doing uh, at that point. Yeah, that was. You always had a positive attitude, though. I remember that. Is uh, yeah. Yeah, I was. I, I I loved it. I just couldn't believe I was there either, too. On top of it, I wish I because I used to have a an old VHS uh, camera back then, and I used to videotape all of the stuff that we did, like the hands on pole and all that stuff. Oh, okay. But my my kids decided to record over those tapes <laughs> for you know he man or something. So. Yeah, so much for all that good yeah. stuff. I did have I did have some some stuff that I found that I did with Joe, as far as when he he got the full face, full massage and yep. facial thing at uh, Peggy White Nights and and uh, I did have some too that when he uh, was down at the beach and we brought an Elvis impersonator down there. <laughs> he was great, man. He could just do just follow right along and do whatever, you know. Yeah, that was never missed a beat. I, never I, missed a beat. You know, I've got I've got uh, I've got my. Uh, demo tapes I've got a commercial demo tape and an air check demo tape from that from that Sunny FM era that I listen to every now and then I'm always surprised um, at how good some of the stuff actually turned out yeah, yeah, and I'm also too. surprised at how shockingly horrible yeah. some of it is but I'm always like wow I mean there was there was some stuff that we did uh, on the air and then also some stuff I did in the studio that I was like wow yeah. you know that's Sometimes I go like, "Wow, you really haven't progressed much further than you did when you first started." I know. Funny if that was some of my best stuff that I ever did. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was. It was. Uh... But she would, gosh, she would pull stuff out of. I mean, I don't remember anybody saying anything to the effect of like, "Hey, uh, we're not going to be able to pull this off because we couldn't get right. this or that." She or made it happen. she made it every single time. I mean, there was even a point where we were. Was it bovine bingo? And we were dropping, we were dropping stuff out of helicopters. Right. I don't know where you get a helicopter, but she <laughs> somehow got a helicopter. Um, yeah, there was a lot of, and there was also, there's also a lot of stuff I don't know because I was stuck back in the studio. So that's why watching these videos is kind of neat because I'm finding out, you know, oh wow, that happened. Okay, I didn't know that. Uh, what these larger companies are doing to themselves. Yeah. Is just. You know, they're um, destroying radio. Oh, it's just you know. In <laughs> fact, they, yeah, you know, they, they they really are. And we went through. So when I got down to Cincinnati, it was J Corps, and when President uh, Clinton and the FCC released the restrictions on how many radio stations you could buy in a market, it used to be you could only own an FM and an AM, and that was it. Right. Well, they they said you can buy whatever you want to. Well, J Corps went on this buying spree, um, and Randy Michaels who was a consultant of Sunny FM. I think that's why... I remember that name. Yeah, I think Randy... Randy is a big shot down in down in Cincinnati. Um, also, Randy was part of the uh, the Power Pig, if you remember that, down in Tampa. No, um, no, but okay, yeah, okay. There's, but there was this, it was this station that came in um, and just totally annihilated the number one CHR station in about a matter of maybe six months. They went from nothing to overtaking these guys, and it was all guerrilla warfare radio. I mean, they would show up at events and like with way more t-shirts and just tell all the, they, they had a contest where, in fact, we did it here at Sunny, uh, where we showed up at one of GRD's 
events one day and it was like a chili cook-off yeah and so the guys were there cooking but the radio station hadn't shown up yet we showed up and gave all everybody we told everybody we'll give you you know 50 bucks if you just put on our t-shirts so everybody who was cooking chili put on our t-shirts we gave them 50 bucks and we left and then GRD shows up and they see all these Sunny FM shirts. Yeah. So that station down in Tampa was doing all this guerrilla warfare stuff. And they uh, they bought like, they'd buy like these jalopies and just spray paint all this weirdness on it. And, and so Randy then bought a ton of radio stations. Okay. He went crazy. In fact, he bought eight in Cincinnati. And then everybody went, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. You can't, you can't have eight. Um, and that was, and so they, they. I think he was like seven or something was the. Well, that was at, after he went, yeah. he went nuts because he bought 13 in San Diego, eight okay. in Denver. He went nuts. And then they said, OK, well, hang on. It's got to, it can't be more than six or seven or whatever it was. But they left us grand, grandfathered in. So that's where the, that was the beginning of the end. Because then all of a sudden they started thinking, wait a minute, you've got, we thought, oh, wait, eight stations, eight staffs. You all fight one another. Mm-hmm. And right away when I got down there, the classic rock station I was working at, they put us into to kind of a, an area to protect WEBN, the station they really wanted to make all the money because it was the cool one. So <laughs> we were we were a blocker station for that. So it was like it was like running a hundred yard dash, but you're only supposed to come in fifth because <laughs> these other guys have to win. Yeah. And then it just got progressively worse. Then JCOR was sold to Clear Channel. Then Clear Channel sold to iHeart. And then of course that whole iHeart thing when they sold it to Bain. In the investment I mean it was an investment investment group yeah they don't want to run radio stations care, yeah. well that happened during the housing crisis and they actually tried to get out of the deal because mm-hmm. they had bought they had bought the clear channel for 26 billion but after the 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 housing thing went through it was only valued at like 10 yeah so now they have all this debt because they couldn't get out of the deal they have all this debt and they just started you know kind of mushing everything together i was virtually voice tracking six or seven other radio stations okay, at the so same that's time how that all came about that's how that came about and we were blowing out midday people here and there and then night guys all over the place and then i could sit at my studio and i could voice track sandy i could voice track anywhere right right and just just and you could see the log and you do your little thing and they would email it over in place and it would you know it it'd match right up and it was you know perfect it was scary how good it was yeah you know? yeah well you know it <clears throat> the little radio show I do, I still do on Saturday. I do it all right here. Right. Yeah. And you that's. Know, I, don't, yes. I never. I never go there. Right. <laughs> I don't yeah. have to. And that's you know, and and that's that's one good thing yeah. about that is that you know now yeah. it's kind of flushed out by that. But the radio company then just decided it was all about you know saving the dollars. In fact, they let me go in January after 24 years. Um, we went from we had eight production directors because we had eight stations. Then we went down to. I think we went down to six radio stations because when we got sold, we had to give back to. Kept WKRP though, right? Uh, KRC. We haven't got, <laughs> there is no KRC. God, I wish there was a KRP. Um, well, Cincinnati. I mean, yes, you know. right. Well, and they uh, they knocked us down. There was three of us left, and they blew out me and Dave Cudahy, who actually worked at Rock 101. Okay. I actually brought him down to Cincinnati huh. because of the experience that I had up here at, at Sunny and Rock 101. And uh, now they just have one guy. Wow. One guy. For yeah. eight, for eight, for six stations. That happened with Muskegon too. It happened there the same yes. way. I mean, yeah, know, I think you guys. Mark, Mark Dixon was like the last one to right. go over there at uh, yeah. uh, Clear Channel or yeah. iHeart, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, over and yeah, and you're right because I think you're right. The smaller markets got. I think they got lambasted way before right. we ever did. Oh yeah, yeah, know? yeah. I mean, I started. I remember starting at the at the oldie station 
and we were alive, and we did it until we transferred that. We even kept WKBZ way back in 80, well, it was 91 or 92. I remember that. Something yeah. like that mm-hmm. when, we, when I automated it. That's when actually Bart Frost was working there. Okay. And I I was probably became program director, and I was working on the AM side doing a live morning show, but it was a talk show, which Mark didn't want anything to be part, you know, be okay. part of. He wanted to do the music, so he huh. did the FM side, which right. was 95.3. Well, ratings came in, and the FM never did well. So his, his ratings were down. So they told me, well, we're going to have to automate this. And it's like, what about Mark? <laughs> I, had, I mean, Mark, I had a lot of respect for him, and, you know, I didn't have to fire him, of course, you know, but it was just weird. It was just weird. It was, yeah, this yeah. whole thing has been just weird to see it in, in its heyday and then to kind of watch it morph into where it's at now. It, yeah. It, kind of hurts yeah yeah yeah. like i say and i was like one of the first in muskegon to try to to change the station over to a automated station okay i feel guilty almost like i was i was the one for the condemning of radio well yeah because i was also put in charge of the am when we turned it to all sports yeah and that was all automated Oh yeah. Um, it never had, you know, it never had a body in the first place, and uh, so I had so dealing with the automation systems. That was even, I even got a chance to kind of play around with that while I was at Sunny at the same time. So yeah, yeah there was just so many different things that uh, that station, you know, there I probably did just about everything you can think of. Yeah, and. I don't know. It was just. It was so. It was just so weird that a, a place like that, you know, on this side of the state, was there, and then I actually got a chance to, you know, be a part of that. Just, oh, a, yeah. just, just, just mind-boggling oh, yeah. to me. You know, well, it's just like you know, KBZ and the AM side. You'd be talking about, you know, sports. You know, trying to do, you know, Tiger baseball, football, uh, local sports, and and you have to always have people to, to run them. And half the people that I found were stoned half the time when they were doing it. And it's like, man, what a job! It's like program director. I got this big name of program directors. Like, I don't want it. <laughs> you can have it back. I don't want it. That's when I was working like sixteen hours a day. You know, I got a divorce. It was like, ah, I don't think this is this is for me. <laughs> that was funny because I remember uh, at the, when we had the the little AM station. I don't know how we got it, but we ended up with the, the hockey team. We could broadcast. Uh, we got we got the rights to broadcast oh, yeah. okay. uh, the Fury, yeah. and so the person we hired to run the board was Joyce, the cleaning lady's son. <laughs> oh, Joyce, I forgot about her. Yeah, yeah. and she some which is funny. She gave uh, my wife and I. My wife actually uh, was Jennifer King, who worked as a receptionist okay. at Sunny FM. Right. And Joyce, the cleaning lady, gave us for a wedding pre- present an indoor grill. We still have that grill, and it still works. <laughs> but I remember at one so- one point somebody had there had been a bunch of money that went missing there was i think it was up front i don't know why they had it out front but a bunch of money went missing a couple hundred bucks i think and bob goodrich uh <laughs> sent down an edict that because they nobody we didn't find out exactly who did it he said you need to f- indiscriminately fire a third of your staff is the way he put it okay so um jim richards comes to me he says hey man you got to fire a third of your staff i go i only got one guy what am i gonna you know what am i gonna do he goes i'm just kidding i'm just kidding but yeah that was bob's solution to solving that problem was to fire a third of the program of the part-timers i think everybody everybody loved bob but he was he was a little different too (laughs) he was different wow bob bob would come in and I don't know if you remember the production studio, but there was one wall that had all the dubs. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we had that kind of lined up in a system that would sort of self-purge itself. So we gave, everything got a number, 
and then when I filled up the whole wall, we would just start over again, and it, that usually lasted about six months. Okay. So everything would be so I would just slowly remove six months worth of stuff. Bob would come in, you know, once or twice a, twice a week. He would check to see if all the light bulbs were okay, and if they weren't, he would automatically have everybody stop what they were doing and change light bulbs. And he would come into the production studio, and the first time he came in, he would ask me, he goes, so how how long have these been here? And I go like, well, some have probably been here, you know, like these have probably been here a couple of years because they're jingle packages, and right. I need those. He goes, a couple of years? We don't keep anything that's over six months old. I want it out of here. And he grabs a part-timer and a bunch of just of trash cans and started taking all the dubs, and he put them all into the trash can and took them out back and threw them in the dumpster the carts you mean the the the, the real the real the real 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 commercials yeah oh, okay. which we used yeah. quite a bit we'd have to go back to them all the time and so i'm like okay so he left later that day guess what i was doing i was in the dumpster yeah pulling all the doves back out and the next time he showed up and he asked me the same question it was like oh those are just a week or two old yeah oh okay great great right and he would just leave the studio and i was like Ugh. yeah i remember <laughs> I, I was how would i remember to when we talked to joe about that everybody got their own real to real that they had to use to you know yep record all their phone calls or whatever and we'd have them all diced and chopped and everything else oh, yeah. we had to keep using that same reel. that same one same yeah. reel yeah. and i remember trying to get new tapes for the four track recorder and it was like you know pulling teeth oh, yeah. that was just, i had i think i had four that i would rotate through because i would just run everything on the four track and then when the four track was full i just pull the other one and just slowly record over top of whatever else was there and then, and then i had a what two reel to reel machines and that i don't know if i ever got a new tape for those machines ever yeah and there were times where i was splicing on the splices it was just you know there was like layers of tape oh yeah just yeah all over the yeah just well, pretty amazing wasn't sunny like one of the first stations around there that had a four track you know i don't know um seems like it i mean it was a great studio I mean, yeah, yeah and and i'll tell you about that you know when we're interviewing yeah, how yeah. that whole studio that that whole studio thing yeah um, we probably should do that huh <laughs> Because everybody hated Sonny. I mean, MUS hated Sonny. I didn't Sonny. realize that, yeah. KBZ hated Sonny. You could not say Sonny in the weather. I, mean, I do remember yeah, that. Yeah. I do remember that. Yeah, Rock 95, I remember we, 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 we could not say Sonny. It is sunny outside. No, it's just sunshine. There's sunshine outside. But you know, that's so weird to think that you guys, you know, because people used to ask us, we would show up at places, and if another radio station was nearby, I can't tell you how many listeners would come by and say, are you guys going to go over there and you guys going to fight? <laughs> What? No, I, I I don't know those guys, but I don't I don't dislike them. Um, but yeah, I had I had no idea. I thought everybody was having the same amount of fun we were, right? No, I just thought, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too bad. Oh, yeah, you should have known that when you went over to MUS, like I did. Yeah. Now MUS, that was a culture shock. Yeah. That yeah. was that that's was that that's was, where I went from Sunny was MUS. That was, oh, it was. Wow. I tell you what, though, it was the. I thought it was the most beautiful radio station oh, yeah. I ever worked at. I thought the way that thing was laid Mike out. Jesse was the one that laid that one out yeah i thought that i thought when i walked in there i'm like oh this is look at that the listeners can see when you walk in there's a studio there's a newsroom the production studio right there the production director has his own office separate i mean this is unbelievable yeah. you know and it was just like wow yeah. just mind-boggling well i'm sure it had you know tim had a lot to do with it too but i mean majeski's the one that you know put the whole stu all the studios together and everything so I tell you what's really funny do you remember how big those the speakers were in the production room oh yeah okay do you know that those actually do you know what was inside of them? No. Normal looking speakers. Were they? Yeah. It wasn't, they weren't, they weren't that big. Because yeah. I remember one day I'm standing in here and I'm They're like. They're still there. Are they? <laughs> yeah. I was looking, I was like, I've never heard of that, that number, you know, the, because yeah. it, like it had a weird number, like an EV something. Yeah. What is, so I like, you know, I pulled the front off and I'm, I'm seeing, okay, there's a, there's a huge, and I'm like, what, what that, 
but something doesn't look right. And then I went around to the back, and there was a little, you could take, I actually took the thing apart, and I looked inside. It was just a normal, it was a normal speaker that I put in that super large cabinet. (laughs) That was was pretty cool. That's all right. That was pretty cool. Yeah. But I thought it was, I thought that was the nicest radio station I'd ever, I ever worked at until I got to Cincinnati. And when we moved in Cincinnati, we moved from one location to another. And then I had a studio on the sixth floor with full wind of windows from ceiling to that you know and it, it was all digital and everything like that that was but i just thought that was phenomenal because they even had sequencers on the on the board oh, yeah. you know you could yeah. push it. i remember i was just like whoa i don't have to push buttons anymore this could, is, you know. back when i smoked i could walk away for four or five songs <laughs> and have a cigarette and <laughs> that's awesome yeah yeah because yeah. they had nice little tones built in so they they got went to the next song and, and i was, and i watched it excruciating how brian put those brian would put he would record if he were and i thought god you guys have the songs on cart that's so bizarre yeah. brian would record those on the onto the same cart he would do it three times oh, before yeah. he was finally happy with oh yeah yeah like wow yeah. that guy was that guy was that guy was a was was amazing yeah was, and he's still there and once i <laughs> and once i got him to loosen up he was actually pretty cool yeah he was oh, yeah. real tight at first yeah. but yeah he yeah, was I like brian yeah that's a good guy and he drives fast you know that? i know i never drove with him i never drove with him either <laughs> but he would tell me he where he lived and how he, he would get, yeah. yeah and uh there was no fa- he he was breaking the laws of physics because i he must <laughs> he must have gone a bazillion miles an hour and the car that he had at the time had more mileage on it yeah that i didn't i didn't i didn't know a car could have 385,000 miles on it and he and he and he I can't remember how long he said he it didn't take him that long to get there either yeah you know like you know it was like maybe five years and he had just a ridiculous amount of mileage but I don't know if he ever went home because when I would get there he'd be there and when I left he'd still be there so I don't know if he ever actually did ever go home he he slept on the floor quite a few times so that we know when I was there he did yeah yeah. it's like somebody go wake up Brian I need to ask him a question (laughs) unbelievable unbelievable yeah Yeah. (laughs) Brian lived and breathed that radio station yeah and he's still there oh yeah Lynn Grant Lynn Grant yeah um was I thought she was really really talented she's awesome yeah yeah um and I would talk to her because I I think I did a two-hour air shift I think because I think I, I think I did it. I can't remember which was was even weirder doing country, um, you know, as Ranger Bob. Um, <laughs> it just didn't make any sense to me. But they wouldn't let they wouldn't let me stop using the name. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think she came on, but she was so so good. But uh, what really interested me, she was miserable. I mean, yeah. she. Uh, I don't know what was going on in her life, but I thought, gosh, you're working at a radio station. You're super duper talented, and you're not happy. And I was, I just couldn't. It couldn't. I couldn't process. Yeah. Um. Of, of that whole thing. And well, you know, her her trick was though, because she, you know, she told me. She, I said, "What's your trick?" Because she always sounded so pleasant on the air when she was on. I mean, she sounded great. Yeah. But when she would talk to you, she'd had that country accent, which she didn't have on the air. Okay. But she had kind of a little country drawl. But she said, you just put a big smile on your face when you go on the air. <laughs> which is funny because... Which is true, yeah. Which, which was funny because after she was on the air, she wasn't smiling ever. I mean, she was... Uh, she was... I, I don't know. I'm, unless that was just a bad time in her life, I was... Oh, it could have been. Nick, I, later I, on, yeah. I just remember... I just remember... I, th- I think about that a lot. Yeah. Um, of like, how could you possibly be at a radio station like this and not be thrilled and happy? You've got a neat little midday shift. Yeah. I mean, she didn't have to do any... I don't think she did any commercial work no i don't think so um just came in did the shift and she and, could have i mean you know, uh, yeah she, she had a great voice to yeah, do it. yeah yeah but didn't have any um 
I know I've run into people like that uh, a lot where I've seen a ton of talent and for some reason the, uh, the, the, the person just decides not to take advantage of it or or to do something totally different and I, that's always because uh, I've always had to work really super hard um, yeah. to be what I would consider good and these other folks would be so talented and they would just they didn't even have to try and it was just oh yeah and Britta yeah awesome. right all of that now Ken Britta Roberts. yeah, yeah. And Britta was, I thought Britta was funny because she always, I remember in talking to her, she was always this close to being fired. Yeah. For like years. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? You've been telling me that for four years and you're still here. I <laughs> sure. just don't think you're going to be fired anytime soon. Yeah. I just don't she think it's going to happen. kids in and everything. I mean, come yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it, that was fascinating. The, the dealing with the people um, was, that was another uh, another neat thing watching I think, I think every radio person, though, thought that they were not good enough to be there, though, and, and felt, felt that they were. I, I, I guess I, I, I mean, maybe that's you know maybe that's I've, and I've always not, I haven't been well, very they were too cocky and they were well I've run into those folks too especially yeah. down in Cincinnati when you get into a larger market that's a whole different story where you've got people who are you know they are talented they know they're talented and they're yeah. just they're just ornery and mean um, but they're also very flawed yeah. um, the guy who did Afternoons After Me was probably the best classic rock DJ I had ever heard but he was a major prick. <laughs> God, was he a prick. Um, but it was fun to mess with him because, uh, you know. <laughs> you, you did that quite often. You oh, did that very well. Dude, we, that was, yeah, I mean, I, it, he just had to because it was just too It was just too fun. It was radio for crying out loud. Yeah. It's not brain surgery. Yeah. We're not saving lives. Yeah. I didn't think, you know, maybe um, we But But there, did you have that moment, though, because you, um, when you went on the air for the very first time and kind of lost the whole... I'm on radio kind of thing. Did you ever feel that or you did? Okay. Oh yeah. At the beginning I did. Um, but I, I would say by about, geez, maybe 91, 92. Um, when I was at sunny there, uh, cause I got there in 89. Um, I was really comfortable on the air. Yeah. And I was, I was scary. I mean, I was like, I can't believe this. I'm actually kind of comfortable. I'm oh, kind of, yeah, yeah. you know, and I really enjoyed it. And I was really trying to get better. And, you know, I was just trying my best to get, to get better and better and better because I always didn't think I was, you know, good enough and all of that. Um, but yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. But there were, but yeah, oh yeah. A lot of times, in fact, when we talk a little bit, uh, my radio career went totally in a, a different direction than I thought I was going to go. And I forced it back into a direction that I wanted to go because of there's one major thing about radio that I don't like. Should we start this? Sure. Thinking? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Now you're still going, you're still going by Ranger Bob then or what? Or well, I go by Mark, Mark Erickson. If, you know, if Ranger Bob works, it well, don't matter that you, that well, we'll, I, think, we'll I, I guess you. Ranger Bob, you know, okay. is, is, is the way to go. I mean, if, if we want to throw, we can throw the real name out there, but I know, I don't know if anybody, cause I tell you, I can still walk into town and tell somebody I'm Ranger Bob. And they're, oh, dude, I remember you. And same thing in Cincinnati because I was six foot what? Four? Six foot four. I yeah. mean, you're kind of hard not to recognize. Well, but a lot of, but I didn't do as many remotes and appearances as, as a lot of people did. So really? I didn't really, I didn't get out there as much as like the other guys did. I always thought you were out there with everything. Not, not as much as some other folks. Huh. But the name, and that's, and I'll explain, yeah. I'll explain to you the, how the name came about. But that, the name is what stuck. And even down in Cincinnati, I was Ranger Bob for like, I think I was on the air for 12 years down there before I just went to commercial production. And, okay. And people are still, they still, oh, yeah. They even think I'm still on the air. Okay, we'll, we'll have to ask about that name. 